everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Occasionally, we have a guest on the podcast that shakes our world up in a good way. And that is how I would describe this conversation with Ryan Basic. His entry into the world of human movement is not all that unique, but where the journey took him is anything but traditional. Every day, Ryan commits himself to serving others through improved movement. Many of these folks have suffered catastrophic spinal injuries, which have left them with almost no range of motion. Ryan utilizes his knowledge of the brain's ability to dictate movement and his empathy for the emotional trauma associated with injury to get these individuals seeing progress. The result is a movement and mindset momentum that propels those clients towards recovery. Here it is, episode 434. Merry Christmas, John. Merry Christmas to you, too. Merry Christmas, Tex. Merry Christmas. Are we allowed to say Merry Christmas? Yeah, we are. We are. Or, or don't, don't we? No, we, we don't say Happy Holidays around here. We say Merry Christmas. Well, yeah, of course. And Happy New Year. Um, how much eggnog have you had so far? Uh, I'm kind of... What's the, day, what's the time of this release? Uh, <laughs> you know, here's the problem. Right? No, there's no problem. Uh, there is a problem <laughs> because they don't sell the brogears yeah. here in Texas. Mm-hmm. The brogears that we would get at Mother's in Southern California, <laughs> which was like liquid gold that we would mix up and make our uh, um, Uncle Huey moonshine eggnogs, uh, they don't make it here. And I haven't, have I haven't been able to find mm-hmm. a comparable brand. So I've been wheeling out Bob Wellborn's uh, uh, eggnog recipe. The problem is... You pretty much are done for the entire day. So, like, it's not like, hey, I'm just going to have myself a little eggnog, you know, today, like with with uh, with my well, dad's you melt eggnog. Your face and you sit in the couch, dude. My dad's <laughs> eggnog. You got to like make sure you're at home. Somebody has your keys. Uh, like you're, you know, you're all yeah. tucked in. You're in your jammies, ready to go. Maybe you have to put on a diaper, uh, whatever it is. But when you strap into that stuff, you know something weird's going down. Yeah, it's called a Merry Christmas, John. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Uh... God, did I ever tell you the time my dad almost set our house on fire on Christmas? Maybe. So my dad uh, got up. We our, our family tradition is we would always get up uh, a little bit late, and my mom would make sausage rolls, which is like a little piece of sausage wrapped in um, the, uh, uh, like uh, croissant. Like yeah, croissant. Pillsbury. Yeah. yeah. So she would make these sausage rolls. So we would get up and slay sausage rolls, and then my dad would fire up his uh, world-famous eggnog. And I remember he um, had a few too many eggnogs, and thought it would be a good idea to burn the wrapping paper <laughs> in the fireplace. Now, mind you, don't do it because all of that wrapping paper is treated with chemicals. Mm-hmm. So, Especially back then. Right? Yeah, especially oh, yeah. back then. So he'd, we'd throw it in, and all of a sudden it starts turning all these kind of crazy colors. Yeah, like and, the green. And the we're blues. like, ooh. And then all of a sudden this, <laughs> like it catches, and this fireball explodes out of the, of the uh, uh, fireplace. And like all of a sudden the roof... Like, uh, obviously, we had a two-story house. Like, the roof is on fire. And, like, the whole thing. And we're like, ah! And my brother, Rob, <laughs> runs and grabs the fire extinguisher and just hoses the whole room off with the fire extinguisher. My dad's yelling at my brother, you're fucking destroy you know? Like, and my brother's just trying to put out the fire and yeah. do the good Don't thing. Don't put out the fire with Oh, me. dude, yeah. Don't and put it out with your boots. Yeah, right. yeah, and, like, puts it out. And so we're sitting there, like, on Christmas morning, like, in, you know, in our pajamas, like, opening gifts, like, you know, eating sausage rolls. And then the whole thing is just covered in, uh, um, like, fire extinguisher dust. The whole chimney's burned in the roof. Oh, my God. And uh, I remember my mom yelling at my dad. And my dad, like, just the worst day ever. And I remember thinking, like, then as an adult, I'm like, oh, man, he did have a lot of eggnogs. Oh, yeah. He probably was up at 6 a.m. crashing those things. And, 
hey, let's burn this paper. That sounds like a good idea. I'm in. Uh, and like you you got three boys there. Yeah. And like fire is basically magic at that point. Uh, like, dude. Can, uh, we, can we put it in there too, Dad? Uh, Do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Merry the, the funny part is I've like, I, I brought that up recently to my mom and she's like, we well, dad did have too many eggnogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wait a Monday morning quarterback at Doris. Yeah, seriously. Oh, shit, dude. That, like those are, uh, those are the memories on Christmas that I just like, I yeah. just, I still laugh. I can't believe it. I'm actually going to have to call my brothers and we're going to laugh about yeah. it after this. Beautiful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for those who are celebrating Christmas, Merry Christmas. And those who may be celebrating different holidays, Welcome. happy holidays to you as well. Welcome. Here's to you. Welcome. Here's yeah, to here you. is to you. And we've got a, we've got an epic episode today with a fella that we met at the RPR clinic here at Power Athlete. Yep. So uh, a, a like sister episode to this episode would probably be episode 363 with JL Holdsworth, Holdsworth who's, who's part of the RPR team. And also to, anything that we've done with Cal Dietz, because right. Cal will reference it. So like th- those... Those are good episodes to maybe bundle up if you're in the road trip to go to family holidays. You and these fucking bundles. These bundles on the mind. It's year of the bundle. <laughs> it's year of the bundle. I thought 2017 and 16 was the year of the bundle. So I'm using bundle in a different uh, meaning because I'm thinking of bundling up in the cold ah. and going to like multiple Christmas oh. parties. You're going to your girlfriend's party, then your parents' party, then you're going to the friend's party. Like you got lots of road time, mm. you know? And you got to bundle up for that. Oh, yeah. If it's chilly out here in, uh, well, I'm also imagining I'm in Chicago, which I am. Wait a minute. I will be. Yeah. Time well. is a flat circle, people. But bundle up, bundle these podcasts and be a bundle of joy. But we got Ryan Basic on, mm-hmm. right? And Ryan is... Uh, I was going to ask if anybody... If I'm like, anybody ever called you Basic, bitch? <laughs> I'm far from it, though. <laughs> no, and the dude is uh, next level. I yeah. mean, what he's doing for not only spinal cord injuries and rehab and working with paraplegics and quadriplegics is like next level stuff, mm-hmm. man. Now he's using the RPR and the B-Activate and uh, just... The other Nobosu. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these different modalities to kind of get these people but it really feels like um, a psychological thing that he's in their corner helping them take this transition yeah. and we, really moving them from independent or from dependent into independent yeah truly the definition of empower and he's allowing them giving them the power give themselves permission mm-hmm. to make progress yeah yeah and uh, so we have his contact info uh, if, if you just pop on Instagram search basic methods spelt B-A-C-H-I-K Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's underscored. Did, yeah. did yeah. he say he was Czech? Uh, that's yeah. The name is Czech. I yeah, guess which would make him yeah. Czech. I mean, the, at least a portion of it, right? Well, does he speak Czech? Because that's I, the number one. We'll no, ask him Sunday. Uh, but yeah, so pop on, search him out, and then what else do we going to? Is it McQuilkin a Czech name? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure. just kidding. Mm-hmm. Well, programming. I mean, this Friday is yes. the last Friday right. of 2020. That's right, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Thank God. So next it Friday is end. the first, and all you resolutionists, we're, yeah, it's on. We are forced to act. We are ready for you with yes. open arms. We want to accept you into the power athlete world and allow you to remodel, rechange, and empower your life for 2021. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I'm just excited to get 2020 over with. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should just delete this part of our year from the calendar. I mean, it's been just too weird, so I'm really excited for I'm gonna. I choose to embrace it. Mm. I, will con- I will consider it an asterisk in the, the annual journal of Luke. It's just like an asterisk here. You get a, everything's forgiven. No one has to remember, like bring up well, old shit. You just go laugh it off. Can I drop boys some will positives? Be boys, girls will be girls, go. 
that 2020 was the year of the third monkey. Mm -hmm. We allow, we gave people permission to continue to be fit and work out in their lockdowns. In the most austere environments, a.k.a. your apartment balcony. You get an apartment balcony. Or the stoop in a brownstone. That's right. And you just, you get the the $50 equipment list and you're going to be jacked. You're going to be shredded. You're going to be in the best shape of your life. Yeah. On yeah. your front porch, uh-huh. freaking out your neighbors or making them make lifestyle changes. That's right. Mm-hmm. Because we have a catalog of training for you or your loved ones, depending on their goals, right? Depending on skill level and goal. I, I'm almost certain we have everything covered. Well, and people, really, and I think the interesting part about this talk was that not everybody can do it themselves. Sometimes you need a mentor and somebody to take you on that journey. And I think that's what Power Athletes done better than anybody else mm-hmm. in the market is in terms of like taking you on this journey. You know, there's a community aspect. It's coach led and really giving you the best training experience to help you reach your goals in the most successful environment. And it's one that we've crafted over, you know, a number of years. And I'm not saying this because I'm CEO, but this is really good. Oh yeah. And you know, you said something there, John, that I think people don't understand. Like you're not signing up for training. You have like, we coach you. We coach you through your training. It's a coaching experience, we nurture not just a training you. experience. So you have access to real life coaches. Tip of your fingers. Training's delivered to your phone every single day. It's fun. It's punchy. There's character. You're not just doing sets, reps, and movements. You're training. That's right, people. We have 11 different options to choose from for any like any desired outcome that you want. Just head to powerathletehq.com slash training, and you'll see that little survey there if you want to take that. Or just shop around and look at the programs and the training tracks, and uh, we'll put you in the right place. All you got to do is sign up and show up, and then that is it. Boom. Easy. Right? Simple. And you know what? It's not just a resolution. It's a life change. It is. It is. Don't... Yeah. It's not a resolution. It's a... Life change. It's a do-illusion. We're it's a, to, no, no. It. It's, not a, it's, it's not a resolution. It's a revolution. Yeah, John. That's, Re- what, we, that's what we had yeah. rehearsed. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to bring about a revolution Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, health and fitness in 2021 are going to be, you know, the hallmarks. When you look back in 2021, you look back and be like, hey, what did I accomplish? You're going to be so much happier when you started. Like, I mean, that's always the one, man. I think getting started is always the hardest part. But like once you start and you start on that journey, when you look back, you're going to be so glad you didn't wait. So jump on in, find us. Yeah, and do it. And why don't we just get started with the talk with Ryan? Let's do it. Great, great episode. Shall we? Kendall and I also, we're working on going outside the U.S. with what we do. Oh, yeah? um, Portugal is not one area, but there's just so much lacking outside the U.S. with individuals. And since we really kind of during this COVID put a lot of money into React and especially basic methods, our biggest deal is to start presenting seminars and taking clients and instructing these practitioners behind the methods I'm using. Um, it's time to start getting the word out there and teach these family members Um, how to cope with it and help their loved ones accelerate small goals so that they can get to the bigger picture without spending millions of dollars in rehab because insurance doesn't cover what we do at all. It just, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll fight it because there's no prognosis of a complete recovery. And so Kendall and I have made it our lifelong mission to change that. And one of the first spots, I have 150 practitioners in India begging for us to come out. I'm just scared shitless to go to India right now. Yeah. So that'll be our first stop. And then Brazil's why? a spot. Why, why are you scared to go to India? I mean, they're vegans. I've never really. 
been outside of uh, the U.S. minus Mexico and England, to be honest with you. So it's just more of the culture shock yeah. and things like that and the unknown and then navigating that with my wife in a wheelchair. Um, I just I have no expectations. So just that more the uncomfortability of it. Yeah. And then um, you got to imagine that there's not what was it, the ADA? Uh, you know, yeah. puts, uh, puts a, you know, here in the United States, there's a, a whole um, governing been, body, yeah. yeah, governing body. But there's a set of rules where like buildings have to be, you know, ramps and this and like, right. you know, they have to be up to spec. So you can rely on yeah any sort of business to be accommodated. I'm guessing yeah. for the most part, I'm guessing India no. doesn't have that. No You're way. probably no. going to have to have like porters that are like, hey, I need you to carry my wife in her chair up 10 flights of stairs. I just no throw her like a bag of potatoes on my shoulder. <laughs> for real. Like oh, Kendall and I have navigated. She's been in weddings in Mexico with her friends being a hundred yards in the sand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are y'all kidding me? Like your best, your bridesmaid is in a wheelchair and you're doing this in fucking sand. And I'm, it's 105 degrees and I'm carrying her in a suit. So if we can navigate that, we can navigate India. Yeah, I think all right. India is no different than Mexico. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, like the touristy versions of Mexico are probably dialed in just like the, yeah. um, I think you're one of the only people I know that has ever been to India. Oh yeah, it's lovely, lovely. <laughs> so I did. I did have a layover in, in Mumbai as well. And like in, in terms of culturally, like everyone there was extremely friendly in the airport. But I was stuck in that airport. But then when I was in Sri Lanka, that was there was some some destitute. There. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Mumbai so, is where we would be going. Yeah, so. I think you'd be safe there, man, because like. It's a lot more modern, I think, than you think. But as soon as you go 30 miles out, like, yeah. oh, yeah. you're, you've really ventured down into that third world. Yeah, no, it's well, uh, the level of poverty in some of those countries. Like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they talk about third world and this. And it's like, dude, like, I mean, like when I went to Brazil, we got to really see what poverty was. And it's like, oh, yeah. Holy hell! Like these people are living in these like make make shanties with like you know mm -hmm. uh, corrugated metal. Like it's same it's insane. in South Africa when we were driving through there. Once you're you know on the perimeter, like in the favelas or whatever they they're called down there. I forget. Yeah. What? So you guys almost got rolled. Uh, well, oh, I was yeah. in town. Tex almost got rolled. I was like, on point, ready to roll. But I was <laughs> B rolled. My buddy. B rolled. B rolled. Ready to roll. You were B rolled. Oh yeah. <laughs> But that's another story. Hey, Ryan, why don't we get started, man? Uh, Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, thanks for, thanks thanks for hopping on the podcast. Uh, Absolutely. And spending some time with us, you know, before we got going here. We shared some sentiments, man. And I think, like, what you do is going to amaze people, right? So one, before we get into, like, the technical uh, stuff that you're, you're into and what you're doing at React, like, how did you get to where you're at now? Because it's it's a pretty yeah. interesting story, man. Yeah, so in 2010, I graduated from Texas State and kind of like a lot of us in the field of exercise science, kinesiology, I didn't want to be a glorified personal trainer, just like a high school coach. I, I had more aspirations for myself. Um, at the end of the day, my dream job, honestly, was probably what a lot of us when we're young, I wanted to be the head strength coach of the Texas Rangers. <laughs> and then I realized I didn't have anything prepared to even be ready for this as I graduated, especially coming from Texas State, where it's probably a little more fun than education, to be quite honest with you. Um, so right then and there, I knew I needed to put in some uh, sweat equity. So that's actually when I became a intern strength coach at Weber International out in um, Florida with Coach Steven Razzle. And Coach Raz is actually um, in charge of the minor league system of the Blue Jays now. 
And he gave me the opportunity, gave me a dorm room, fed me three meals a day. And I spent eight months out there working 80, 90 hour weeks with 18 different sport teams because there's no NCAA regulations in the NAIA. So it's a little bit more free to allow yourself to get hands on, take ownership of teams, et cetera. Um, that was a great start for me. And from there, I said, you know what? I don't have a job in the field yet, so I'm going to keep applying for more internships. So that's when I got accepted at Baylor University um, under Art Browse and Coach Cause. And during that time, I actually got to go to Missouri with Coach Ivy and Brian Mann and spend some time with them. And from Missouri is when Kendall called me. She had saw my resume on the NSCA website, said, hey, I have this new facility. I'm looking for a strength coach that's passionate. I saw your info and was just curious if you wanted to come to Dallas for a job interview. Two days later, I came to Dallas and I started working here at React. So um, that's a quick uh, 50,000 viewpoint over the two years as I interned. And uh, for me, after the uh, political stuff in the college setting, that's what motivated me to kind of move on. I was unfortunately at Baylor in 2012 and I knew some weirdness was going on. That's obviously when the scandal stuff was taking place. And I just, um, I felt uh, like this wasn't for me after that. I saw a lot of politics in the NCAA realm and I knew I didn't want to be controlled by that. So I was thinking to myself, how can I use what I've learned over the last two years to make a bigger impact for others. And that's how I found React. And I had to learn a whole new system of working with people with paralysis. And um, it was very eye opening. But for me, I love challenges. I come from a single mom, had to kind of work my way up, get myself to and from school. So it just kind of fit my personality just a little bit more, unfortunately, than uh, or not unfortunately, but fortunately, um, than when I was at the college level. Nice. And then I guess give us uh, give us the lowdown on on what y'all do at React. Yeah, well, in 2012, we it were primarily spinal cord injuries. Um, we didn't want to kind of go outside of our approach. Our, all of our modalities, all of our info was strictly for the CNS and repairing neuroplasticity to see what the body's capable of past the prognosis that the neurosurgeons gave us. Now, we got to be very careful with this because the doctors, it's their job to put reality in the client's or patient's eyes because when you wake up, a lot of people don't remember the trauma and they're told you're never going to walk again and you're going to be dependent on others the rest of your life. And that may be the case at the beginning. But what the case is that we're trying to change is, is they fit you in an $80,000 power chair, make your insurance cover that instead of other things. And they're saying you need to be in this power chair. Well, I'll tell you 85% of the clients that come in my building start in a power chair. They're out of that power chair in a year or so into a manual chair. Hmm. So we're trying to change the whole scheme of how we approach the entire system from very beginning to an ongoing process because the biggest thing it's just like what we do as athletes if we start training we're going to see the desired effects that we want but as soon as you stop we lose it very quickly well it's very it's very similar with what we do in nature but it's even more than ever because my wife lives a great life but she's still in a wheelchair and we just celebrated her 11th year living this injury this past saturday and she stands up she takes steps she regained her arms bow bladder but she still lives the life of a complicated spinal cord injury. So having strength training consistently decreases tone, decreases spasticity, helps 
not get urinary tract infections. So over time at React, about three years into this, going into 2015, people started seeing, wow, man, this person went from power chair to manual chair. This person's actually able to stand up and put braces on and actually do more for themselves, go back to school, get an education, get put in the job for so then people with multiple sclerosis, strokes, the traditional medical systems kind of failed them. And people are like, hey, just because you lost your left arm, we're just going to teach you to drive with your right arm. Don't worry about it. It's gone. And that's just not what people want to hear. They don't want to hear that. And so at React, we don't put them in that pigeonhole or we don't look at them as, hey, because your injury says this in a book, that's not the case. I believe the mind is powerful. And I believe with the right family, the right community and the right trainer, if we address the condition instead of, or the human instead of the condition, we're gonna be able to get a lot more. And this is where I sat down to, with Kendall and said, listen, we need to bring a team together that completes the circle that I've created, which I think a lot of us do, especially in what um, fields as coaches is physical, mental, emotional. And some days our clients don't need the physical aspect. They need the emotional or the mental. And I'm a firm believer that if we don't push physical and emotional together, we're never going to reach that mental capacity to get through day-to-day -day life, living with neurological trauma and or disease. So that's where we kind of reshaped it. And now in modern day, let's see, 2020 minus pre-COVID, um, we're working with so many different injuries. My latest one was a Denton police officer shot point blank in the head, 40 cal, ricocheted off the skull, exited at the top. He's learned to rewalk, retalk. His family comes every day. These are the type of injuries I'm starting to work with, um, as well as Matt Hughes came and worked with me after he was hit by the train um, three years ago, and I was able to help him. And now he's take, took his training back home and is able to kind of keep going. So I'm very excited now to not just work with spinal cord injuries, but actually just more neurological trauma. As we age, things happen. And um, just taking a whole, whole different approach. I used to just think if I just make the body stronger, 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 it can work. Well, if the brain's not connected to those muscles, it doesn't matter how fucking strong we are because it just isn't going to matter. Mm -hmm. If we can't uh, defy gravity and stand up and load bear, I don't care how big our muscles are. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the evolution of how we've gone from 2012 to where we are now. And we just got a lot of exciting things in the works, which has kind of led us to now being a pioneer in the field to where I want to get what we've been doing and help other practitioners that have interest in this field and help kind of be that mentor for the people that are fresh coming out of school that want to give this an opportunity. Can you take us through the process? I mean, you keep talking about like, hey, you know, taking, you know, person from day one into this, you know, maybe two, three, four, five year process. Can you yeah. take us through like what it looks like? Because I mean, I, I think it really, it's pretty fascinating. And I've seen people uh, you know, with neurological issues, everything from, you know, like, uh, you know, geez, like exosomes to lasers. I mean, like the uh, the treatments are so diverse in how people are attacking this. I'm just curious about, you know, what day one looks like and how you progress people and the modalities and different things that you use. Yeah, that's great, man. And if I start getting off on a tangent, just kind of stop me. But, just, um, go. That, just go. Just yeah, go. Yeah, we, no. we will just push you in tangents. That's what we beautiful, do. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> well, I think on day one, um, I always tell my clients, hey, man, um, don't judge me on day one. This is where I get to know your body. I get to um, feel the energy coming from your body. This is kind of the hippie in me. 
Um, I'm a reference Douglas Hill, which RPR was derived from what Douglas Hill created. Oh, yeah. No, we know our RPR and Douglas Hill. Beautiful, man. Yeah. And so I immediately lay a client down and I just tell them to close their eyes and breathe. That's how I start every client. I want to see what their body, what kind of tension they're holding, what their breath looks like, how their hands are gripping, if they're relaxed, if they're calm. I want to see if they're constantly living in a fight or flight response, right? So that's where I immediately just start to talk to the individual. And I say, what are your three biggest obstacles right now in life? What are they? And I usually get the big picture. Well, I just want to walk, right? But I, my job is to digress that down. That's like saying, hey, you want to squat a thousand pounds. If you go do that right now, we all know what's going to happen, right? We got to have obtainable goals to get to that desired goal. So my job is to redirect their mindset and say, well, in order for us to walk, are we able to do daily self-care? Can we brush our teeth, feed ourselves, those things? Obviously, being a quadriplegic, not having upper extremities, they probably cannot do so. Being a paraplegic, they're going to be able to do those things. But those clients are going to say, well, man, I lost full connection of my bowel and bladder. I have constant accidents. My quads give out on me. My relationships with my significant others become more challenging. And I start to see big picture in life. The old me would say, let's just do whatever we got to do to get to walking. But what I've realized is if I can help them learn their new norm and accept it, but never accept where they are in their recovery process, that's where I start on day one. I get an idea of where their mental capacity is, where their physical capacity is. And then I actually administer the level two, I check the flexion extension um, compensation patterns with RPR on day one. I want to see if the brain's engaging a flexion extension pattern because we all know at the end of the day, the body's going to give everything up minus from the hips. So I'm seeing what's firing. And a lot of times nothing's really firing when I start because what did I have them do? I had them talk about all their trauma, all of the shit that just weighs them down. So in their mind, I already know they're going to be crap when I assess them. But then I'm doing that for a reason because I want them to see how quick we can alter the brain and the body chemically and through a response of the RPR techniques. Now, this is where I had to kind of get with Douglas and I have to be careful on how we, how I say this because Are RPR you using is, the RPR or the, or the be active? I'm using be activated. Okay. That's what I was about to go into. Okay. So for everybody that's listening, obviously don't do this to your athletes. You instruct them to do it. But my clients, if they have the power to do it, they do it to themselves. If not, I have to jump in and do that. The desired response or the effect of what I do is insane. I get some insane responses as far as people might just start crying immediately when I release the sternum and I get into the base of the skull after I do some releases. Their body feels light. They for once feel clear and they're like, what did you just do to my body? And for the first time, they weren't living in that chronic state of anxiety or pain. They were able to just take a step back and just be a human again. And I think that's what this injury's done. It takes away the human um, capacity of things. Like, I couldn't imagine going through daily life shitting on myself or peeing all over myself, trying to strain. And then you got to have somebody clean you up. And then you're like, okay, let's go again. So we have to start with that mental mindset. 
And so that is my day one approach. And then moving into it, I already know what the body's lacking. And the modalities that I like to go off of is how a baby develops themselves. So they basically start crawling, they roll over. I use that same developmental activity scale and I assess them through those five movement patterns. And then I test them every six months to look at progress, whether they can get themselves up and roll from their back to their belly or roll from their belly to their back. If they can do that, can you roll over and get yourself in a seated fashion and hold yourself up for 60 seconds? Awesome. Can you do that? Now, can you roll over and get into the quadruped position? Okay, you can't do that. So now I know we're dealing with rotary issues. We're dealing with lumbopelvic control. So I use that as a baseline to go off of. And then I have just taken all kinds of different devices like body tempering, Nuboso mats, Nuboso neuroinsoles, and I'm trying to bring the connection back to the feet, and then I just take it from there. Um, I have all sorts of Kaiser equipment to deload the weight so that we can kind of load them up with 50% of their body weight. But the biggest thing is, is I've shifted from more of a strength mindset to a true neurological lens, as JL likes to talk about. And I'm looking to turn the power on to the brain first and make sure we have connection to every joint and every muscle that we're using. So that's kind of the best way to approach it. And then when my clients come in, I have one set thing I want to start with every day um, based upon our last workout. And then I go off of that first set in the first 20 minutes because every day a spinal cord injury can be completely different. And what you had planned will not work. And sometimes it will. Hey, Ryan, what is it like? Is there a bell curve of spinal cord injury or neurological trauma? I mean, you're obviously working with like that, that tail, that right tail, where it's like the yes. most extreme cases. But are dudes like, or chicks, you know, are people likely walking around with some form of this trauma at a le like a less severe scale? Yeah, man, I think so. I, this is hard. I want to make sure I say this right. I think a lot of this has to do with the mental toughness aspect and the why me type mentality. And I say this because all of us handle situations differently. And the individuals that I've worked with that have had insane responses to where a few of them are completely out of wheelchairs walking and move back to normal life. And I try not to like brag about that because that is a very few and far between. But what I will tell you is, is what I've seen over the last five years is getting people back in the workspace and getting their life back, making them feel whole again. Yeah, and purpose. that means, yeah, like reinvigorate themselves as, you know what, maybe I did break my fucking neck and maybe I did lose these things, but. I'm still a father, I'm still a husband, and I have just as much to give in this world. And when I put that back in their mind, they are gonna have something more to fight for. But it also has to do with, do you have a good support system? Do you have a family that comes and fights for you? Do you have the financial necessity to do so? Mm. That's the problem when insurance doesn't cover it. So I don't like to just say, oh, do you have the willpower to do this? There's like six or seven things. So as far as the bell curve, it's really all circumstantial, man, because some of my clients that are financially capable, I see them five days a week. They have that money and their success is great. 
Some people can only afford to see me once a week, but it's not safe for them to train outside of here because if uh, they don't have connection to their ankle or their knee and they're trying to do quadruped and something wrong happens, they could break their hip or break mm -hmm. something. And then they're really in trouble. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to answer that question. But what I've learned is, is that if we have good donors, we have good sponsors or people that have the money, they have the family, they have the support system, then I'm seeing the progress move to where people are spending half their life out of their chair and half their life in their chair. And if we can add 1% of that daily over time, they will get out of that chair. But it has to make we have to make sure that they have obtainable goals and they're realistic with the next one or they're going to be like, man, I'm never going to get to this goal. My foot drops. I drag my toes. I can't pull my knee using my hip flexors. And I say it's OK if we're not perfect. Perfection is exhausting and we're never going to get there. So it's my job to kind of reiterate to them, you're doing a great job. And this is where I'm trying to bridge the gap in the traditional physical therapy scene because these these individuals then will go to gate therapy labs and they're like, well, you're not driving through your big toe and you're not heel striking. So we need to put you in a KFO, which is, you know, knee foot orthotic, all these things. And it now creates a swing gate. And these are the things where we don't have to use these devices for people to get through the science is evolving and we need to give the brain and the body the opportunity to. And then when they have to play dad or they have to play husband, throw those fucking braces on and go play dad and go play <laughs> husband. So I teach them how it's a fine line of both. And yeah. that's where I've evolved from two, two thousand. 2010 to where we are now. And for our listeners real quick, three uh, Ryan's talking about JL and RPR. That was 363, episode 363. So if you haven't listened to that, it's really uh, kind of eye-opening yeah. about uh, the dynamic. What, what did you, uh, the neurological lens, right? The neurological yeah. lens of, of training versus like that structural muscle tendon ligament. Well, I mean, uh, if you look at, uh, I mean, we've been through the RPR uh, deal and have known Cal Dietz for years and also JL, yeah. so uh, pretty amazing stuff. I mean, the, the B-Activate, where it kind of stems from, it's uh, it's almost very similar to, like, what Craig Bueller does with uh, Amit, you know, and then there, you know, I talked to another yeah. guy, Chris Cormier, who's down in uh, Louisiana. Um, it's pretty amazing that uh, people are kind of attacking this thing, trying to get to the same root cause, but different ways, you know, like Dr. Bueller looks at like muscle inhibition and uses some different, you know, practices to get muscles to fire where, you know, they're talking about uh, dysfunction being stored in the, in the fascia and like the fascial release, which I think is super fascinating that you actually take these, um, you know, injured individuals. I also think like, What's the milestones like? Uh, like I, I like I keep putting myself in this situation. If this was me, what would I want to hear? And more importantly, like w like what's like? Uh, I, I imagine it's just small little milestones. Like hey, um, you know your ankle dropped. Now you can kind of hold your big your, your big toe up or your foot or you know how this thing kind of progresses. I'm sure it's very individualized. But like, what's that first big milestone? Like is it uh is it like the positive mindset? Is it whatever? Like I I wonder like what the first thing that you observe, and maybe this is not universal, but the first thing that you observe where all of a sudden the light comes on and you're like, we're gonna do this. Yeah, they're in the fight. Yeah, yeah, that's a super good question, man. Um, I'm gonna give you two of them that I believe are the big ones. Um, the first one is everybody's holding pain and they need a release. And my goal in that first hour is to create that. And I just wanna hug it out. And I want to show them that I'm not your trainer that you're paying. I'm, I'm part of your family. 
and we're going to get through this however long you need me along. Here's my cell phone and let's just talk. Let's be human. And that's why I say, what are your three toughest challenges or most frustrating thing? And then um, I'm super interested in the psychology component of all this stuff. And I kind of dive a little deeper. Um, and honestly, I'm not going to lie. I push my clients to that result. And the response is amazing because as soon as they just start to kind of tear up, I just slowly put a hand on their shoulder. Um, uh, if it's a man, not a woman, I'll kind of touch them on the chest and the diaphragm. And I say, hey, it's okay. And the response to that is life changing. It really is. Because when you go to a traditional PT setting, and this isn't on the PTs, it's not, it's on our system. They can't do these things. They can't take that extra time. They might have two or three other clients. Well, I'm dedicated to them. I might pull them in another room. I might tell one of my clients, give me 15 more minutes. I need to finish this. I'll take them around back and we'll walk and get fresh air. That is the biggest thing because they're like, you know what? No one's ever really addressed it. It just wanted to get to know me. So now I'm going to listen to this guy and I'm going to fight like hell and I'm going to do everything he asked me to. That's the first major chain. The second one is most people don't understand when you have paralysis, whether you are neck down, waist down, um, knee down. At the end of the day, if you don't have sensation to that body, every two hours at night, if you don't wake up and roll over or change, you're going to get pressure sores. And these pressure sores can go to the bone and they can cause sepsis and all kinds of issues. So the biggest, biggest change is the core capacity on top of the mental and emotional part of it. Because if I can get them to be able to get in a soft bed instead of some nasty therapeutic bed that's not comfortable, and they actually be able to learn how to get up and have that strength to rotate themselves and manage their body without their loved one waking up every two hours. Those are the biggest milestones because guess what? Now we're getting sleep. We're seeing more clear. Clarity is something huge. Brett Bartholomew is a big mentor of mine and he helps me with clarity. And when we have clarity, I think that's one of the best things we could ever have. And then milestones start to happen. And I say, awesome, man. Now, you know what's even better? Now let's create a 15-minute protocol in the morning because when you wake up, your tone throws you backwards because when you go to sleep, your body goes back into that imploded state of protection because of the trauma. So when people wake up, for example, my wife, it, it's insane, guys. Her legs pencil dive. The quad tone is like you trying to bend my elbow you'll never win. I don't care how strong you are because the brain is protecting the body because it's not sure what's going on. So then I tell people, let's get into our breath. Let's create a 10 minute morning routine. And now these individuals are learning how to empower themselves instead of depend on caretakers and other people. Now they might need these caretakers to help with bathroom needs or shower needs, but that's the next goal. And then before you know it, they're driving. That is where I have shifted my mindset so they can go do things. A lot of our clients in the past, I would say, what is still your biggest frustration? They go, I want to drive. I want to be able to leave my house when I want to leave my house. I say, well, what's stopping you? Both your hands work. I don't trust transferring. What if I fall out of my car? So you know what the next day I do? I grab my SUV. (laughs) Well, kind of, yeah. And then I have a bunch of veterans that are next to me with these massive trucks and we do it. Yeah. And I put the fear of God in these clients. But guess what? It's gone at the end of the hour. 
And then they go and they replicate these things. And again, the old me would say, well, you know, we'll just keep working the core. We'll do more assisted sit-ups. But I've learned if you just put them in the environment, it may be not be the physical capacity that's limiting them. It's the fear. And fear can really change a lot because in the hospital, they scare the shit out of you. And they're like, if you fall, you're done and your hip's done and you're going to live in a nursing home the rest of your life. And I'm not trying to change my voice to make fun of these doctors it's just why would we even tell people that when they're already at the worst part of their life that they've because ever they're because they're trying to manage it in such a way that they think is beneficial and a big part of like um you and know doesn't a, it, is it like cya too john well, like is yeah it, it's 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 liability but it's also like yeah you know um something i i like i caution people on uh also all, all too often is uh don't like as a parent don't let your fears become your children's fears like, yeah, and you great. see this all the time where like, you know, like the parent is fearful of like swimming. So then the kid doesn't swim and then the kid doesn't have any experience what? with it. No, I mean, this is a real big one, man. Like yeah. I, I like I've seen it a bunch with like this, this fear that parents have. And then what they do is they project the fear on their kids and then it becomes something that the kids have. And so a big thing is I'm like, man, like uh, I might have my fears, but they're not your fears. You go do, you know, you be the best version you can. So I sometimes think <clears throat> from maybe the doctor or the practitioner or whatnot, let's say the surgeon, they're seeing it from this very nuts and bolts, like here are these broken parts. This is what I know uh, systemically what's going to happen. This is what I know, which is physically in terms of these parts. And then they come out and they're like, well, the parts are broken because they have no other ability to fix anything. They just can replace parts or like a a mechanics that can't fix anything. I just am a part swapper. And, uh, you know, then they come out and all they tell you is like, well, your parts are broken. If more parts break, you're going to be you know, bedridden and living this awful life. And it's like what they do, um, you know, I, like uh, I ruptured my patellar tendon my rookie year in the NFL. And the doctor came in and said, we've never had anybody come back from this injury. Your career's over. And, wow. and, and like, have why? a lovely day. <clears throat> yeah. And he just walked away. Now, it was true. He had never seen anybody with this injury came come back. But it didn't mean that, like, you know, I wasn't the outlier. And I came back and started 16 games that next year. So I always think, <clears throat> and that was my, my first tell with this, don't let your fears be other people's fears. And I think all too often in like the medical community and maybe the training and really this whole space, our shortcomings and our fears, we push onto our clients. Um, Yeah, that's great. The one thing that I really uh, have taken from even our short time here, just 40 minutes on is uh, the transition from dependence to independence seems to be like, like the sooner that you can move people, even with these small little things from, you know, dependent to now you're becoming independent and then that journey is really like, I mean, just summed up for me where I'm like, man, like these people are dependent upon all these people. Now what you're doing is you're teaching them to be independent again. That's so true. Uh, And this is, I think, a perfect time to kind of share how my wife and I came about. Um, So Kendall, obviously, is my wife now. Um, She knew nothing about me when I started here. And she had been with the gentleman that was with her the night of her accident since high school. And, um, I've met him. He's a great guy. And, uh, to this day, there's no ill will between any of us, but the emotional trauma that he witnessed and had to see Kendall go through was so heavy on him that he had to get out. And my first week here, I come in and I hear like, and, uh, Kendall probably is going to hate me for saying this, but just hearing Kendall just sobbing away. And I come in there and I'm like, hey, are you okay? And she just showed me this note and he had he had to go and he had to do it for himself. And I actually can understand that a little bit. At the time, she did not. Um, And that is where we became best friends. And I said, listen, 
it's we need let's go out and uptown this is back when we were still younger and you know not trying to be great business owners and i was like <laughs> let's just go let loose and before you know it, we were out and I'm meeting her friends. She went to Ursuline Academy, which is all girls private school. She knows everybody in Dallas. And we just had the best time ever. And then we come home at four or five in the morning. I'm living with my two roommates in Irving and she makes us breakfast and we all pass out. And this girl outlasted uh, my, me and my friends that partied hard. And I'm like, man, this girl is awesome. So we just developed this really cool relationship. And then at the same time, I'm working with her four hours a day to really master this new industry that I'm in. And that's how we slowly, honestly fell in love and created this. And through our own experience is what people find motivation in. And it becomes where she felt accountable and loved and a purpose. And it had nothing to do with whether she was standing or walking. It had to do with, man, I still have a purpose. This man loves me for who I am. I married that girl in that wheelchair. And the only thing that I could find wrong is it's not her fault that her legs don't work. And who the fuck am I to not move forward with somebody because they were in a horrible accident? And I had to do soul searching and I was good with it. And so I try to take every client I work with, male or female, and address it in that manner. Because as soon as that happened, my wife's recovery got better and better. We had a daughter, natural birth, when 22 doctors tried to tell us we had to have a C-section. The entire medical realm was in there watching. In two pushes, the baby was out. And they're like, you're a quadriplegic. How did you push? She goes, my husband trains my diaphragmatic breathing daily. I focus on intradominal pressure, all these things. And the, so now these doctors are like, if y'all have a second child, can we do research on these types of things? Because we love the fact that these quadriplegics are wanting a natural birth. So like, that's the evolution of us. And so we want to give that power back to others going through this. And it, you're right. It starts with creating independency because when they start to live again, everything else goes. Imagine as an athlete, like you said, when you had to go through your recovery in the NFL, you probably went through a lot of ups and downs, but when you got back on that field and started 16 games, you're like, yeah, take that doctor. My mind is much more powerful than the result that that image showed. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of the experience over the 10 years I've learned and where I've taken it and then added everything else to it. It's crazy. Dude. So a couple you've mentioned a couple times, um, just the, the nuance of working with a man or a, or a woman who's, uh, has a spinal cord injury is that yes. like are there are there different characteristics of that like yeah there really is um the sexual function of this injury is brutal and um for women it's um they you know feel i'm trying to say this as politely as i can they feel like they lose their womanhood okay. um and uh they might not have connection and it is the same for males but Males find ways to adapt. I've found better than females because they feel like they're not giving their significant other what they need. And then their husbands maybe kind of, you know, they're struggling through that process. So I've learned that I have to bring a different mentality to whichever individual I'm working with and be more vulnerable because what I have to be careful with um, is people want to know what about Kendall? How does this work? How did that work? And Kendall doesn't love when I share all of her intimate details, 
but I do because that's what our that's what we're here for and that them hearing it works and then for some of my male clients their biggest thing is is I just want to make love to my wife mm -hmm. I don't care if I can't walk I just want to be able to pee I just want to be able to do these little things and expectations change so that's where the uh, human mind is so crazy. It's like a, a study came out and it's like, if you got your bowel, bladder and sexual function back or you walked, which would you choose? Everybody chose bowel, bladder, sexual function. Sure. And so I have to be careful because a lot of these uh, ladies that I work with in here, they're married, they have kids, they're in their you know 30s or 40s and um, they're going through tough times. And so that is why I told y'all psychology is huge. I plan to go back and eventually get a master's in psychology, hopefully a PhD one day, because I do find myself playing counselor and I got to be careful with that. And right. I do refer out whenever I feel that we're getting close to a scope of practice. Um, but I, I, I wholeheartedly have clinicians that I refer out to and it's helped these individuals tremendously. Have you had, um, uh, you know, I'm, I know I've, since the COVID deal, uh, Douglas Hill hasn't come over and done anything. I was actually planning to go see him, uh, yeah. you know, like when JL came and we, you know, I, I was just Same really here. interested to go see him. Uh, have you had anybody that's done like, uh, cause the B activate is, or be active, I guess is what it is, right? Is it be active or be activate? Be activated. Yeah, yeah, be activated. Uh, is a lot more, what's the word, uh, aggressive than the RPR. Very. Um, so I, I just wonder if, uh, like anybody that's kind of been in this, you know, uh, quadriplegic, you know, uh, paraplegic kind of deal, have they done any type of, uh, has he worked on anybody or anybody's done any of that practitioner uh, more no, so than uh, just like helping people get back that autonomic, you know, function. But I wonder if there's like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I guess with all this stuff, man, you're, I guess you're always kind of secretly hoping that like something becomes the miracle where somebody goes from like, you're, you know, broken to, to fixed and, uh, yeah. you know, like everything from like technology doing implants, you know, to some form of, you know, biologics to something like this. I, and I, I don't believe it's going to be one thing. It's probably going to be like a combination, combination. of things. But uh, I wonder if uh, how that effectively works. Yeah, that's great. Um, a couple of things. First is I would honestly say I'm careful with the word miracle, but I can truly say my wife is one and I have seen about seven or eight truly other ones um, from where clients started in power chairs to where all they had was a shoulder shrug to what they have gained and what they're doing in the community of what we do. To me, that's a miracle in itself. So I like to address that first. The second thing is I do think science and stem cells are getting closer. Um, we have uh, been um, in contact with BioAccelerator in Columbia. Matt Hughes had a tremendous results as well as another client of ours. Um, so we're working with that team out of Columbia to start to kind of combine the therapeutic approach that I take in combination with uh, intrathecal stem cells um, and the combination effect. Uh, to go back to your question with Douglas Hill, yes, I was same as you. I was hoping I could get out when Douglas came out to Ohio with yep. JL and I would have just lived in that gym for a week and just <laughs> listened and put a video recorder on. But I have sent a few emails. We've had dialogue before. Douglas is a tough man to get a hold of. Yeah. But what I actually just started this week is I just purchased his uh, two seminars in Australia and Dublin along with his full course of Be Activated. And it's like seriously 60 hours of stuff. 
And I told my wife on Christmas when we go to Fort Collins where her family is, I'm locking myself in the room for two days and completing it. Uh, I, um, I think it's really interesting to go through it, but like, I want him to, so my shoulder's kind of messed up. Like I have an issue where, you know, it's a ton of trauma, but like my lattice kind of stuck to my scapula and like okay. JL and I had him kind of going and he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, that's neurological guarding. If we can like get in there and do what we need to do, we can release that and get that thing to separate, which would add like miles. So I was kind of, uh, like, you know, doing this with my fingers being like, so when's he coming? When's he coming? And then all of a sudden I've COVID done the hit. same. Yeah. I have done the same, man. And I can tell you, I, I, that like makes me want to come to your place on Friday when I drive through Austin oh. to see if I can approach some of these things as well. Because um, something that I think God gave me as a gift is energy and the sense of touch to find things. Um, and every client can be like, how did you know to go right there? And that's that first time where I watch him breathe. Um, so I'm right there with you. I want to learn from Douglas. I'm happy. Maybe we can get them to my place or your place and just get, get going with it. But I think what Douglas does is a much deeper approach because the first time I watched a lot of his videos, he watches every human when they walk into his environment and he watches how they address themselves, how they handle it. And he actually talks about in his uh, doubling course, the first two hours of that is some of the most mind blowing things because he takes the way people handle themselves or the way they talk or the way they guard themselves. And then he brings them up and uses them as examples. I want to know what those examples are. I don't know that just yet. But what I did learn is one technique where he messes with the emotional state of your mind. And it's if you put your feet together and you breathe and you push into someone's chest and you say resist, you find a base line and then you say i want you to think of the happiest moment in your life happiest moment ever and i'm going to start pushing hard you're going to be grounded and you're going to be connected and then i'm going to say now i want you to think of the most trauma whatever instance in your life that was the hardest thing you ever went through and in about eight seconds or less your body will implode and you will go backwards and i will barely touch you and that's the emotional state that he talks about. So what I'm starting to think about is if our emotional state, and this is all circumstance stuff that I've seen with my clients, um, nothing else with anything with RPR or what Douglas does. It's just what I've seen. If I can get my clients in a state and I take a quadriplegic who cannot sit up without gravity pulling them back and I address that state. And I tell them to visualize where they're going to be in 10 years and visualize them at a barbecue, cooking the food for your family. They immediately are sitting up and they're not falling over. And I'm not helping them. And I'm not going to say it's with great posture, but they're holding themselves up when they couldn't. But then I say, now imagine your injury. Bam, they fly backwards. And so that's as deep as I've gotten with the be activated. And that's why I am super in charge. So I'd be willing to say that um, try some emotional stuff with some RPR techniques. I bet like there's an underlying subconscious hold or something triggering that that won't go. Um, and the only way I know how to do that is get my hands on you and start going to town. And this is where I'm at and why I have Brett Bartholomew helping me as a mentor, because I'm trying to put this as evidence and put it in a, well, you don't have a very good beard. I mean, Brett's got a lot better beard than you. So is that part of the mentorship? Yes. And I, if you can't tell, okay, okay. You're growing. I got a, yeah, no, well, three weeks, man. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, so, I, uh, so well, beer I do uh, RPR twice a day. I do it. Um, and what I really found took it to the next level was uh, we got one of the Hyper Ice guns. Yes. And uh, I'm not kidding you. Like, it went from like, oh, to like, oh, my God, like to the point where I do it on my kids before bed. They sleep better. Like, my little boy woke me up at six today to, um, you know, came in and like, can we do RPR? And he's four. So, like, I'll take him through the whole deal. And and then he he goes and I'm like, do you want to lay down and belly breathe? And so we lay there and do some belly breaths. But uh, I do it twice a day. I know my wife does it twice a day. Yeah. And uh, but it's pretty interesting. I know JL when he was looking at my shoulder was like, man, you got some what do you call it? Neurological gluing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he's like, he, that's why uh, he's like, man, I bet you I know a dude that can un- uh, unglue that shit. So uh, but no doubt. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I'm always interested on this thing because what about uh, body tempering. So what I do in combination with what you just said is um, I'll use like the hyperbolt, hyper ice, however you want to word it. I like the hyperbolt a little better for my clients, a lot more. Um, right at where I need to get into, yeah, and that's gun? just to get. Is that yeah. the gun? Yeah, that's that's yes, what sir. we have, but we also have the the roller thing too. Perfect, perfect. Well, I use the gun first to kind of desensitize the area, because our body's going to guard whatever it can. For instance, when you do a diaphragm rub, everybody starts like right here. They forget to come up by the clavicle, right? Yeah, because yeah. that shit sucks, <laughs> and so our brain immediately tells you, "Let's get away from that." Well, so I use that to kind of desensitize the area. Then I'll do some breathing. Um, I will work a little myofascial release because I would be willing to say your pec, your terrace minor, your lat, it's in your subscap is all working as one. Um, so we got to kind of breathe. We got to work the fascial lines a little bit as well. But then what I get is I get um, the pain pill, the 45, 44 pound body temper. And dude, it, it's as gnarly as it's ever going to get. And I get in those regions and I just let the weight and gravity in your breath work for about 10 minutes. And then I do more active release work. And then I follow up with rolling out the bicep tendon, getting into the anterior capsule. And then I finish with a, a series of isometrics for the brain to hold the response. Do you use um, a ton when, of isometrics with, with your clients? I mean, we know isometric yes. contractions build stability within the joint. So that as I was listening to you, I'm like, man, I wonder how much of this really Tons. is isometric based. Yeah. yeah, because in my viewpoint, before I can control a movement, I got to hold a movement. Um, and that's so for my clients, they're like, well, is my knee really extending? I'm like, well, why don't we just see if we can hold a straight leg and see if the quad even has the strength? Um, And then once I see that we can hold a movement, I work concentric. The toughest thing with this injury is the eccentric part of everything. The adductors take over and they just overpower due to the lack of the glutes, the lack of the lower back. So the um, neural grooving um, is the secondary thing after isometrics. Um, Neural grooving is just a fancy word of saying technique. And um, that's where I use West Side Barbell, a lot of sore neck stuff, sissy squats. I use my gait belts to act as stabilizing forces for the joints. I use visual um, acuity so that they can visually see. I use the nubosu at the bottom of their feet. I'll even throw a sand dune on there. I use whatever I can for the brain to decipher some sort of input. But the first input is isometrics, hands down. Interesting. No, I mean, it, it, it makes total sense. I mean, uh, you, you would think that like the first, uh, and you, you, you brought up a great point talking about babies. I mean, just the first thing that I noticed in terms of strength of my kids, like that ability to like maintain their trunk stability, like all of a sudden they would like lay on their stomachs and like lift their head and that isometric contraction of holding their head into that position and getting that arch position. 
Yes. You know, like uh, you were talking about like the, you know, and you, you, I'm sure, uh, you know, parents are supposed to do this, but you put your kid in one position. Can they roll over? You grab them by the hand and kind of pull them back and forth until they learn it themselves. And then can they get up into, you know, that seated position, push themselves up into a squat, which is, is pretty funny. I read a bunch of uh, pretty interesting research where they talked about um, children that learn out of sequence. Like, for example, they don't learn the cross patterning before they stand where parents are like, yes. we don't want the kid to crawl. We just want them to learn to walk early. And so, like, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, my kid walked at six months. Well, there was a good chance that the kid didn't learn the cross, uh, the cross patterning. And yeah, so I, when I dug into that, I was real conscious of the steps like, hey, here's step one, two and three. And so I would look for these different steps and try to keep them into the same uh, like in, you know, in the same order, whereas I think a lot of parents are like, oh, I just want the kid to walk, not realizing that a lot of this cross patterning, a lot of these movements are neurologically based. Yeah, it's, it really is. I, I'm just going to give you one evidence where I was all in on the neuro insoles with Naboso. Um, I have Clyde, um, if you go through my Instagram, he's my brain injury client. Half his brain's been removed out of his skull. He's blind and his right side is just completely um offline not now it was he was given one percent chance before they decided to pull the plug um he squeezed his mom and dad's hands so they're like nope nope we got to ride this out first of all clyde is like my brother um if something ever happened to his parents i will take him he is seriously like one of my best friends and the recovery that we've made is tremendous. But for two years, I could not get him to lock out through that right leg. And he's a big country boy. He's from Canton, Texas. And so we're talking about 270 pounds to where if he starts to go to the right too far, well, luckily I will end up being a linebacker to get him back down before we hit the floor. As soon as I put two neuro insoles in just for the density of it, locked out immediately it connected the loop that he was missing and ever since we started using that now every one of my clients i put neuro insoles in their shoes Mm -hmm. i don't even care if they can't afford it i just pay for it and i put them in there Mm -hmm. because something about getting the feet back online now here's what sucks my lumbar injuries and lumbar injuries the lowest point they have the most function but it's one of the toughest injuries because they literally have zero connection to their feet. But what I've learned is, is even though they don't feel it, their feet still get better. Their toes stop curling under them and they start to extend. I made a post about this yesterday with my client with cerebral palsy and he's been imploded. He was working with people that just kept braces on him, and they didn't even work it. His knees were coming in. And if he tried to stand the pain of his joints, just grinding themselves would buckle him. Now he can stand for 15 minutes upright holding my hands and he's not in pain because I'm hitting a lot of the things I talked about with you. I'm readjusting the skeletal system with myofascial release. I'm hitting body tempering. I'm taking his brain out of that protection mode. I'm stimulating barefoot training with the Nubosu mat. And then I'm just giving him the ability with mechanical stimulation using the Galileo, which is out of Germany, which is side alternating. And after three weeks, a massive change to where he can walk in his kitchen and get in the refrigerator and go back to his wheelchair that was his biggest goal he gave me and we completed that in three weeks so these are the types going back to like milestones it's just circumstantial based upon who i'm dealing with and what their level of injury or what their injury or disease is so on that note uh does does lifestyle before the injury contribute to like 
a more positive recovery process and, and like vice versa. Right. And what, like, what have you noticed those lifestyle factors to be? Yeah, man, that's, that's a good question. Um, absolutely. Anybody that was an athlete, they have that mentality already. I love the word mentality. Um, I just, I do. I think that everything I tell my clients is when you come through the doors in our building, no matter what your problems, fears, or struggles are, leave that shit at the door. Our mentality is how can we get 5% better each day or 1%? I like to say five because I'm striving for more. Um, but my athletes and the individuals that push themselves woke up at four or five in the morning to train, work a full-time job. Those individuals have a little bit better I'm going to get past this. I have this. And then you have those more introverted personalities, more to themselves. They play the why me game a little bit. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it takes them a long time to shift that mindset. And I would say 80% of my clients, unfortunately, are in that realm. And then I have a 20% where they're like, bro, I'm going to raise this money. I'm going to be here five days a week. I played college football. I'm going to fucking attack this thing. But mentality starts with it, and it's more college athletes, ex-football players, um, ex-Marines, or high executive businessmen who ran businesses. So what about, like, um, I guess physical attributes, like are stronger dudes and chicks who trained? I mean, I No, guess that's is, different. Yeah, um, yeah. Here's the reason why. If you're a – Let's say all three of y'all, y'all are strong as hell. So we all know yeah. that y'all lift, you train your body. But if I would, I don't even know, I want to use y'all because I don't even want to say that. Say we take a, a world's strongest man and he gets paralyzed. He's probably going to be in the hospital for so long that he atrophies a lot okay. of that muscle mass away before he gets to me. And women, for some reason, don't atrophy as fast as males. Hmm. Um, I'm not. Hmm. Um, that's not my strong suit to go into the science behind that. I'll sound like a moron. That's just what I've noticed. Well, but, muscles, um, muscles extremely ahead. expensive to, to hold on to. I mean, it's yeah. just it, it's really fascinating. I just read a, a pretty interesting. It, it wasn't necessarily a research piece, but it was just kind of anecdotal that talked about um, and it, what spurred it was I listened to uh, Matthew McConaughey and Joe Rogan, and he was okay. talking about when he got uh, when he lost all that weight for Dallas Buyers Club, he's yeah. never been able to kind of recover from it. And he's still in this recovery thing because he got down to 135 pounds. And he's wow. like, the muscle that I had gained over my entire life, like I lost it. And like now I realize at age 50, it's a lot harder to gain all that muscle than it was in my 20s and 30s when I was young and virile. And so the, the statement that somebody made, and I can't remember, it was a, a PhD, was like um, maintaining the lean body mass and the muscle that you have is not nearly as difficult as it is to gain new stuff. Uh, you know, it takes like this minimal effective dose and training and nutrition. Like you don't have to be as dialed. But if you're ever put into a deficit where you lose it, that ability to go back and regain it becomes dramatically harder. So it's easier to like almost like if I busted my ass, maintain a certain level opposed from being put in a deficit and try to gain it. So right. I think what happens is women, you know, just don't carry as much lean body mass. So therefore maybe like just the, you know, if they lose 10%, it's a much smaller amount than if a guy loses 20% or 10%. Yeah, so I've, and I've, that's exactly <laughs> what I see. So I would say that's not as big as what they did for their career beforehand mm -hmm. um unfortunately it doesn't always work that way because i get a lot of kids in here um and i don't 
expect any kid to have the mental mental capacity to be like, I got this. Like, I already know what my job is. And that's the hardest thing. And I'm not going to lie, guys, like this job over eight years has taken a toll on my mental health. And something I do for myself weekly is I, too, see a counselor just to talk about the things that I have to go through. Um, to hear my client's pain and to not carry that home to my wife, my daughter. And it's been significant. So I think another good thing that I haven't really touched base on is I'm vulnerable with my clients. I share what my struggles are in life. I, I tell them, Hey, it's okay. The best money I spend a week is my money with my counselor every Thursday at 7 PM. Because after that call, it's my opportunity to get my, weight of the world of what I do for other people off my chest so I can continue to serve others. And I think that's an important part too, because something that I used to play, I played a why me game. It's like, God, Kendall, like I'm coming home and I can't get myself out of this 15 year old kid that I just helped. And, you know, his brother and sister were killed in that car wreck. And he's just like, why was I alive? And what saved him was the loved one's bodies being dismembered and that cushioned him coming out of the windshield. These are the things that I hear and that shit's heavy, man. And um, so it took me a while to have to learn how to handle myself in this space so I can um, give greater therapies because I actually had to take a year away from this industry because the stuff's heavy on everybody involved, which is why I go back to saying a family and community because we're all human at nature. And if we've never been introduced to something traumatic, there's no guidance on it. You just navigate that and work through it. And you gotta have a support system. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? This is Luke. Before we get going any further, I wanna announce to you that we are offering the chance of a lifetime. We have the gift that just keeps on giving in. And that's right. At the Power Athlete Shop, if you purchase a gift certificate of $75 or more, you will automatically be entered to win a life-changing coaching experience from John Wellborn, Tex McQuilkin, and the Power Athlete Block One Coaching Network, well in excess of $3,000. The package includes a 360-degree initial assessment, 10 live coaching sessions, custom programming, custom nutrition to support your training and your goals. This is life-changing. You can take it and you can use it. Or hey, maybe you give this as a gift. So ladies and gentlemen, if you wanna learn more about what we have going on, winners are gonna be announced on Christmas. So head to the link in the show notes or go to pahq.co slash miracle. Back to it. Wow. In that, oh, that's when we talk as simple things as behavior, health behavior change or making adjustments in your diet for then long term that it all starts with your surrounding and the people around you it's almost like the we were talking about this earlier one person's peer pressure even as a teenager you don't understand these things so you just act out accordingly because that is the the peer direction if you don't have that support network is something as simple as your health decisions and as big and impactful as the network around you for truly believing that you can move on from this point you are with this injury. So it does begin with that. That's the most important factor, at least from, um, 
certain behavior change approaches. But yeah, we can see that impact. And if you're able to, to be that rock and foundation, man, that's a lot of force and emotion and energy to absorb. And that's what I do. Um, that's, that's the gift. I know this is why I'm on this earth. Um, and this will be the job I die doing. I just hope that I make a dent to bridge the gap so that we can get these neurosurgeons to say, hey, this is your, you, the world you're in. But I know of great things out there that we're going to share with you and it's a long road and we don't know what it looks like, but it's better than just saying, this is your outcome. Well, and that's my greatest goal. Well, the thing that I think is broken, and this is in the paradigm for the, with the doctors, especially with the neurosurgeons is they're still up in arms of whether or not they think the brain can uh, be repaired and can heal itself. And this idea of that, it's just this gray matter, but we know that's not the case. Right. Um, you know, like the, uh, like the cranial manipulations that Dr. Bueller does, what he does, yep. he puts a balloon in your nose and it cracks, uh, like uh, help it to open up the sutures in the brain yep. so that therefore the brain can continue to kind of move so then it pumps fluid and able to clear it out. And like I remember that discussion and being like, you know, the brain can heal itself if the environment is created and you remove a lot of the barriers for it. Um, you know, a lot of the drugs don't cr uh, cross over the blood-brain barrier, but now they're finding like exomes and some of the things that are small enough, yep. like the RNA, now travel across that blood-brain barrier and can be beneficial. Um, you know, dietary things, I mean, you know, removing a lot of the stressors. Uh, it's been pretty fascinating. I think just so many times when the doctors look at it, it's just parts and what they don't realize is that's like organic matter that can heal itself. So that's the, that's the part that I want to see. Like I want to hear, I want to read something about how they found if they can remove this or set this environment up, they can get the brain to regenerate. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, I'm actually going to let them be, uh, I'm going to probably be a lab rat on some of this bioaccelerator stuff because the intrathecal, I was just writing some notes, so I kept my thought here on the exomes and everything you're talking about and blood brain barrier, you nailed it on the head. And so I'm actually going down there cause I deal with two neurological diseases with inner ear stuff that I've dealt with. And that's kind of how I found RPR to help me navigate my new norm, living life that way. But uh, also we need to plug you in with, uh, with Tom Inkledon. Uh, Tom's our guy out in Arizona, Cosenta human performance specialist. And um, I don't think there's anybody in this country that's as, as cutting edge on this exome research as he is. Um, love it. You know, so like uh, I, I just talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, and, uh, you know, he's looked at all the, all the different labs and the understanding and like how the exomes are, you know, they thought they were genetic garbage and then they, you know, for the stem cells, but they found out that's the, uh, allows the stem cells to talk and why, you know, so we got into yeah. all this, but he's like, we've been testing these in his lab with uh, different people with Parkinson's and other issues and have okay. seen some pretty amazing results using the exomes from different places. And I know he's tested it. So he'd be a good guy to plug you in with. And I would love that because Arizona, I mean, uh, Bioaccelerator's headquarters is actually out of Arizona, out I, in Phoenix. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I don't remember if he named that. Then the, There's another guy, um, Stephen Schaefer, who's in Costa Mesa, who yep. uh, does a bunch of research with, um, with lasers on um, mm -hmm on people that have had paralysis and has some really interesting stuff in terms of like, uh, with, with lasers. I wish I knew more about lasers and how the whole thing works, but I, I know that every time I would go see him cause he did ART on my shoulder and would work on gotcha. me, like people in wheelchairs were in there all the time. And I'm like, yeah. what are you doing with them? And he's like, Oh, we do some ART work. We do a little bit of manual therapy and then we hit him with these lasers. And, um, uh, I'm sure what they do is they go somewhere deep into the body to, yep you know, stimulate something, but, um, you know, whatever it is, but that was uh, pretty interesting. So I think those two guys would, 
you know, and I'm sure with your deal, man, you're so cutting edge, but it's always interesting to meet new people that are doing have to, yeah, to, have to, to continue to push it. Yeah. Cause if, I mean, if we stop, we're going to get left behind. Science is constantly evolving. And, um, you said it too. Uh, we actually have a Thor laser in house. We use it constantly for wound healing, mm-hmm. um, inflammation. And I think in the most simplistic terms is it's just getting to the mitochondria density of the muscle to allow proper healing and decrease inflammation at a faster rate, just yep. an accelerated response. Um, but, uh, going back to what the blood brain barrier is just to finish that thought is that's where the intrathecal process goes so i'm going to be filming all of this in january when i go to columbia with my wife we're starting with me because my wife and i we want to have a second child before we send her down to do all this stuff we want her body her hormones to regulate itself back to normal who who are the guys in columbia who's a group so it's well, um, so it's Eric Stouffer started. He's CEO of BioAccelerator. Bio okay. Um, and then uh, the guy that they got a lot of research on from the book that I read that I highly recommend if you're interested in stem cells is from Dr. Reardon. And um, it, I don't remember the exact title, but the book will come up. It's fascinating. And he was a physician's assistant. And he's kind of the main reason why this got going. And he had a facility in Panama and then BioAccelerator opened up in Columbia because Columbia's regulations are a little bit less to where you can get higher dosing. They are not doing it in an inhumane way because that's been a topic. They're also probably culturing stem cells outside the body, which in the United States are not allowed to uh, culture stem cells outside the body. That's exactly what they're doing. So a hundred percent what they're in. I'll tell you this. I mean, um, I've been, man, we've been looking at stem cell research for over 10 years uh, through Dr. Ankeladon and that, and it's always been very underwhelming. And a lot of times, like I spoke to the guys that were in Germany that had done like, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant's knees and, you know, worked with uh, Peyton Manning. I can't remember, uh, Regenix, um, who were out of, I think, Cologne, Germany. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, You know, and how they were doing it. And it's it's interesting because, uh, like, the the claims and some of the things that they had said weren't necessarily able to be replicated. So I always wonder if there were things that they weren't saying. They were kind of guarding these industry secrets. So... As we know, I mean, I remember, geez, even five, 10 years ago, they were talking about stem cells. We're going to remodel and do this. And they've just been extremely underwhelming. And I think part of the problem was that they were washing the stem cells and getting rid of the RNA, which are the exosomes, Mm. which allow them to talk. So back in the day, man, they just thought that was genetic garbage. And they just cleaned it out and sent these in. And then the stem cells get there as building blocks without information on how to tell and and how to move and what to do. So I think the culturing outside the body is interesting, but I think when they start adding the exosomes into this equation, we're going to see some pretty amazing stuff. That's my quick my no, yeah. guess. Quick no, Ryan, it is Neil Reardon. Yes. And that's R-I-O-R-D-A-N. So a little bit different spelling, but Panama. Right. And the book is Stem Cell Therapy, A Rising Tide. It is such a good book, guys. Hey, I'm not a reader. Um, having vestibular issues, reading is hard on me. I like audio books, um, but I read this book and I was fascinated. And it all started because he, he knew loved ones or people that he loved, know people die of disease and it was ugly. And he started to just go after things 
and notice stuff, even with cancer. And I'm not going to go much further because that is a whole nother thing. Yeah. But uh, just read that book. And if you're interested, and I'll be glad to kind of fill you in um, to see. I always do. Me and my wife go through something first before we push our clients on it. I think it's very important. I um, our, our clients trust us wholeheartedly. And so I'm going down there. And you know what? I just my expectations. I deal with massive headaches. I'm talking like shut you down and I've learned to live with them. I deal with all kinds of things. And I just said, if you can get my headaches to go away, I'm a happy man. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to go in through my spinal column and where they're harvesting these stem cells is actually coming from a 20, 30 year old um, female that's genotyped to your DNA. And they're just taking the umbilical tissue and then they go and harvest it. They're not taking aborted babies, none of that. And then they're putting in the exomes with it and they'll do it three through an IV. And then they also yeah. go through intrathecal depending on what you're dealing with. Since mine's a high up CNS issue, I have to go in the intrathecal to pass so the blood gonna, brain barrier. Yeah, they're gonna inject your spine. Uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's pretty interesting when you start looking at like the spinal cord and those injuries. I mean, the systemic effect of doing the IVs and especially like, the counts on the exosomes and the, you know, 450, 600 billion, however that, that yep. goes, uh, they'll run the IV for a systemic effect. But I know that they'll do localized injections like inject the spine to try to get it into from some neurological exactly. issues. So. I mean, that's well, super fascinating. I'll keep you in the loop on that. And, no, you man, know, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by this because uh, as an NFL player, ex-NFL player, uh, the amount of problems that uh, a lot of my friends have had that I probably have for some reason avoided uh, some of the problems that a lot of guys I know. But, I mean, the amount of, like, brain trauma and suicides and, you know, CT and a lot of the issues, uh, I always thought that this type of treatments would help with a lot of that kind of neurological damage that had been sustained from, you know, you figure, you know, one massive car, uh, car injury or car wreck, you know, crushes a dude's brain. And then you look at like, you know, tens of thousands of small little car wrecks over the course of, you know, 10 or 20 years. Probably the cumulative effect, like you said, is worse. That kind of, um, you know, uh, acute versus just, you know, onset. So that's pretty fascinating to me. Um, that's kind of where I've, I've just always kind of kept that in the back of my mind. Like I always told Inkladon, like, if you ever notice anything totally off, come find me, you know, like that, that piece, cause as older players start to deteriorate. So I, it's kind of interesting that, uh, um, that this is kind of progressing, but I, I think I did see Matt Hughes went down to Columbia and I also want to say like Ed Cohen and some other guys. I've Ed seen Cohen, go- um, Henry Cejudo, Chris Cyborg, a lot of them, they are having a crazy response on the orthopedics. Car have, they healing. Been, have they been successful? Cause I haven't seen anything from Ed Cohen or any of the people where they got in there and said, you know, Matt Hughes, uh, I, you know, I didn't know if he was a, a paid individual to go down there and do that. I wasn't sure. How I that don't worked. know that info. I'm sh- I could not answer that. I can tell you that I saw Matt Hughes, um, do like speech therapy pre and post and there was a pretty good difference. So um, what, that was what was his injury? Was his injury from an accident or was it from the fight? Yeah, so he no, he um, was hit by a train. And this is crazy. So at 16, my best friend was hit and killed by a train. And so when I heard about his injury, I reached out through a channel expecting no one to ever get back to me. And I said, listen, I know you're Matt Hughes and everybody's poured everything out. But I also know that I'm a different human being that probably will fuel your soul a little bit differently. And my best friend I lost in this tragic way and the fact that you survived and you're fighting, I want to fight with you. 
and I got a response back and he came down for two full weeks. I mean, him and my daughter played every day. He's just the, it's amazing. I, I fucking love Matt. And like, it just, it's amazing to see, but he was going, um, he was in rural Illinois and, um, it was a, um, invisible track that goes up a hill and it was just right. It was fate, man. That's, that's the best way I could explain it. And when he came up, the, they didn't hit their horn. There were no crossroads or anything to tell you. And it was bam. And he was actually on the phone with an individual and you could hear him being pushed yards. And it was, it's intense, man. He, he wasn't supposed to make it and he did. So his recovery is tremendous. And again, the same stuff that I used that I talked about earlier, Sandu, Nubosu, he would look at me be like, what the hell is this insole going to do? He put it in and then he would come over and be like, my feet feel really good. (laughs) And I'm like, hell yeah. So it's doing something. So yeah, I don't really know what exactly question we were on, but yeah, going about Matt and bio accelerator, man, I don't want to say it helped others. Cause I, my answer would be just my thought behind it. But what I will say is I've done my research as well. And for outside the U S I know that that's the company we yeah. feel most secure with, with the um, quality of stem cells. They're not harvesting it in a negative, in a horrible way. And I think that science is close. And I tell my clients for the ones that have really traumatic injuries, like with multiple severs in their cord, those injuries are brutal guys. Um, But I can tell you, I say, you know what the science does want? They want a young, whoop, hold on one second. Are y'all there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was signing me out for some reason. Okay. Sorry. Um, Science. I tell them they want a strong body that has good bone density muscle mass because when science is ready they're going to do research and they're going to do studies and they're going to select the alphas of this injury so that they can succeed and i'm clinging on to that hope for certain clients because when you're 12 or 15 in 20 years i i truly think if we're going to go to mars in 2040 <laughs> we can fucking yeah. heal a spinal cord injury dude there's and pardon my language yeah but. no i i uh i firmly said that man like uh I wonder to some extent, like, um, you know, what'll be the, I guess the, like the, the piece of technology that will push that piece. And, um, I'll tell you, it's probably like you said, like going to Mars or one of those things where they start learning how to like, Hey, if we're going to be in this suspended state or you got to do this or whatever, and we know that they do these guys deteriorate over time, like what things are we doing to keep these individuals healthy and regenerated? Uh, you know, I know that when those guys are on the space shuttle, like the deterioration from, uh, uh, being in zero gravity, yeah. I actually went down to um, a, what's HMIC uh, Institute of Human and Machine Cognition with Ken Ford and helped them uh, with a deal on how to lift weights in space. And they spent like <laughs> three years and millions of dollars to develop a machine that I was like, you guys don't fucking lift weights, do you? <laughs> so it was a pretty interesting one, but they really got into like the physiological and the psychological and just the effects of being in the in the environment and what happens to muscle mass and like the you know the blood work and the whole deal. And I think they're going to have to do something to counteract that on the other side. And I think that that's what's going to push this next piece of biotech. I, I agree. We use uh, technology that they currently put in uh, the spacesuits at NASA for uh, like polarization, blood flow, pulling it north to south just to kind of detoxify the body. Um, That's where the Beamer mat and the IMRS come in. And 
again, I can't tell you exactly what it does, but I have some older gentlemen that have rods in both hips. I've actually had a couple of my older gentlemen literally flatline on me in this building that I was able to get back. Um, and at the current time they had a sepsis infection, no one knew about, and it went straight to the heart. Um, I, I've, I've unfortunately had to go through it all, but, um, with these guys that have these injuries, I'll put them on my tilt table with that Galileo and I'll put that IMRS mat there. And the, the calmness that goes through their body, I can't tell you what it does, but it does something. So, um, Sometimes that's what's hard about the field I'm in. Sometimes Brett and I talk about it's like that's like me when I try to tell people I help people communicate and be more clear. They're like, and he's always like, they want the strength coach, Brett, but this is what my passion is. And it's that's what I'm trying to do with the word neuro, right? It's so overused. What's neuro? We would all have a different explanation. So sometimes there's just therapeutic effects that I see out in science. I do it, it works, but unfortunately, I don't. I don't have any data to really give. And that's my next 10 years that I'm trying so I can prove outcomes to these surgeons and these doctors so that they have more credibility since they spent their last 50 years putting their name out there. They're not going to just make a, a point to where someone could come back and, you know, create lawsuits and things of that manner. Mm -hmm. It's wild, dude. Well, and the other one too, man, is, uh, man, I hate to, be a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist with some of this medical stuff. Uh, I don't always know if the medical community and the insurance world benefits from healing people as much as they get from selling them modalities and you know, $85,000 wheelchairs and treatments and what this looks like. Um, you know, I always sometimes think that if they were to set up something where it's like, hey, this treatment is effectively going to heal this individual. And now, uh, you know, like <laughs> the financial burden isn't so great because now you're healed up like is there as big a, a benefit in healing these individuals i mean we've seen this through wade's army with uh our cancer which is our, our 501c3 for pediatric cancer which i love by the way thank Commend you wholeheartedly for that stuff um getting into this wade's army thing like you talk about um like the sadness of like hearing these stories and like you know techs over there uh you know got to tackle some of these and you're reading this stuff and it's just like or speaking to the parents or, or, or yeah. like, you know, like, Hey, this kid's going to make it. And then all of a sudden you get a call that the kid didn't make it. And you're just like, Oh my God, like, like here's our Wade's warriors that we lost. But the one thing which is amazing is because, um, we do some grants and we, we, we fund some studies and all that. I get all that research and I read through all this stuff that they're trying to do. And it's like the amount of failures and the, you know, the, the, the lack of, uh, um, treatments and the way that they're doing it is like a 99.9% ineffective. And I keep looking wow. at this and it's like, it, uh, it's like we have to do better, but then you're like looking at the other side and you're like, wow, they just invested $130 million into this study to prove these two drugs don't work together because they didn't work together. I mean, uh, separately, but we're going to put them together so we can at least salvage something out of this. And it's like, well, if they didn't work, like, why are we running this? And then you're putting people in these trials and it's just like, I'm, I'm like, fuck, like we have it's to do better. Rough. Yeah. And, and, I and, 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 and I guess get the idea that you got to do research and they got to know what does. But, uh, like when you look at the amount of money that's being spent versus the people that's being saved, like it doesn't, something looks 
off. And it so, is off. And I challenge you to read the first 20 pages of that book with Dr. Reardon because it's going to touch base on some of that. And um, also what I um, something that I tell my clients whenever they're just really in their fills and even myself is the number one thing that helps me when I am just in the dumps having a bad day. I just look up kids battling cancer. And um, if anybody's playing the why me game, that's the best game to play. Why do kids go through this? And, um, you know, that's a, we could have a whole nother four hour call on this type of topic, but, um, I resort back to saying this, this is what you were intended to deal with on this earth. And you need to ask whatever belief or savior you believe in to give you the strength and the power to overpower what you're going through. And, the only part of that that I don't believe in is these kids don't get that opportunity because they might be three or four. It's just, it's a, it's a brutal world. So that's why I commend you guys for what you're doing. Cause that could be just as heavy of anything that I do. Um, seeing a little kid full of life and then all of a sudden it's taken from them and you know, they didn't even have a chance to battle. And with the last thing with that is what happened to allowing the body to try to thrive and put it in an optimal environment and allow healing to take place. And I'm not saying, you know, if you're in stage three, stage four in cancer, probably not going to happen. You're going to have to go a lot more aggressive, but if it's an early onset stage, my neighbor um, battled it and he changed his diet. He, it was bone marrow cancer. It was nasty. And thank heavens, he's been in remission for a few years. He shrunk tremendously. He did horrible spinal taps, but he exercised. He changed his diet. I mean, nothing but pure things in his body, and he's doing well. Now, that's one case out of millions. I well, get it. Everybody's body's different. It's not, a, uh, it, it, it's not out of line. I mean, the problem, and we've seen this over and over again, is they go in and they administer these treatments but they don't really do any prep work on it. It's not like they do all this micronutrient, macronutrient, I mean, uh, um, yeah. you know, like a, a mineral testing where they see where people are deficient and, you know, what it looks like nutritionally going and doing testing. Um, Dr. Tom had an interesting test when my dad had cancer where they sent the cancer out and they had it analyzed and it came back with like every known substance that would effectively diminish and kill that cancer. And then they were able to put a treatment together that like was, you know, and it was like uh, everything from drugs to like to, uh, um, you know, to naturals. And it was just like, hey, like this is how you fight this thing. The problem he ran into is just it was stage four and it was two gone. And then like it, it was just a cascading effect. But yeah. that thing of being able to go in and do some extensive testing and figure out like where the holes are, let's shore up the holes. Um, you know, all, all too often we hear so much about uh, fasting and autophagy is a big one lately. Well, fasting, you know, cause autophagy. What actually helps more with autophagy is actually lifting weights and training. <laughs> Exercise is by far the greatest form of autophagy. Yeah. So I always tell people that if you're trying to get through autophagy by starving yourself, go lift some fucking weights and eat some protein. Um, yep. So, you know, if you put people into, uh, you know, we've been looking at the, you know, uh, Tom's been testing the hypermax deal, which is uh, exercise, you know, stressful exercising you under, yeah, under pure oxygen. And they've yep. had some really amazing stuff with that. Uh, I, I personally would think for every cancer patient that comes through that some extensive testing that allows them to actually get on paper, if we're talking about, you know, sighting in a rifle, like let's get on paper right. and then start to see how this works. The other one too, and we found this through the pediatric cancer research, um, when they looked at 
the uh, like the efficacy of the dosages of like the chemo and the different drugs, they never tested it on kids. So they just had these dosages tested for uh, for adults, adults, and then they just ported it over instead of being like, okay, what's the what's the minimal effective dose that we needed? If one doesn't, we don't have to give a hundred. But then the doctors will be like, well, we don't have time to test that. And I'm like, well, the people die anyway. You guys kill them anyway. So why not figure out what the minimal effective dose is and then figure that out? Because the dosage you're giving is basically killing adults, but what's it doing to a three-year-old? So that's, yeah. a, that's a huge, like, I, um, I didn't understand this deal until we got into Wade's Army. But since we have, of, uh, like, like, there isn't a day we don't look at something or talk about it where I just don't shake my head and think, like, man, there has to be a better way. Yeah, and uh, just a random thought, if you guys ever want to expand any type of operation on that or you need a facility and want to do anything in regards to that in Dallas, React is open to you guys anytime. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. What baffles me is in those scenarios, like those terminal scenarios, like your neighbor made this huge lifestyle change in terms of diet, exercise, probably mindset, you know, like all of these kind of hippy-dippy non-medical they shit on all that stuff yeah like it doesn't matter diet's not important but what's the like what's the cost of that what is the risk associated with a healthy diet exercise and like regular mindfulness training because that's not the model in which these doctors are taught or or taught but i'm with you i understand but because why not do both well why not find you a girl that can do both that's what i'm saying uh but it's the the problem is and we get into this i'm sure you get into it with your deal where the way that the medical deal is structured is based off of this pharmacology there has to be i can either cut it out or i can give you a pill like that's that's it so then when you start talking about diet and exercise and whatever there it's not that they say well that doesn't work but they feel like if it did work somebody would have talked to them about it so it must not work Mm -hmm. instead of being like well that's not where i come from or you know we've done but bring people in that test that stuff and i think because they're in this country. It's easier to take unhealthy people and treat them for these things yes. than it is to give them the opportunity to get healthy and get off them. Because at the end of the day, man, like, and I, this is where I don't want to get into the tinfoil hat conspiracy of this whole thing. But the treating of these diseases and illnesses and problems, whether it be you know what you're dealing with or on our cancer side, it's it's a multi multi billion dollar trillion dollar industry, and yeah. effectively treating and fixing and fixing these problems isn't as financially lucrative as it is for treating these things. And like, yeah. you know, you would see, you know, and then people are like, no, humanity's not that broken. And I'm like, fuck it is. Um, and uh, it's just a sad realization when you, when you look at it, like, Hey, uh, you know, we're going to put these people into this meat grinder for, you know, for whatever reason and how it all goes. But man, I, I really hope at some point somebody does the, you know, the right thing, you know, the white knight rolls up and is like, this is all fucked. We're going to go in this direction, you know? I, I completely agree. And I just got a couple of thoughts on how you were saying that. So I got a heavy dose of that. Uh, last year, um, I created a tactical strength conditioning program for Addison and Carrollton, Texas here. And um, I never realized the cancer rates and uh, with firefighters and everything going on. And at early age of these guys battling in their 50s, et cetera. And, you know, they're starting to figure out, is it coming from their suits when they do certain things, et cetera. And I don't want to speak too much because I didn't dive into that. But I was like, wow, I never knew this was a big issue. And then moving forward with what you were saying is 
at the end of the day, I think going back to, are people going to spend the money to go exercise daily, get a new, get a, a cook to cook your meals and spend the money. But unfortunately, let's say we don't have cancer. How many people are even willing to do that now? Hence obesity right. rates in America. We have been so trained to, I want that pill, right? Another good example is the flu vaccine. You know, like everybody's like, did you get your flu vaccine? Did you get your flu vaccine? And some people are like, I don't believe in that. 300,000 or sorry, 300,000 Americans are die each year from obesity related diseases, things that are 100% preventable. And, exactly. uh, you know, and like that's that's a travesty. And then we're in this deal with COVID with 200,000. That's, that's probably do you think that's like an underestimate, too, because uh, like, they uh, it's 300,000 directly tied to obesity, right. not like, oh, that person was overweight and they fell yeah, off a bridge right. or that person got into yeah. a car accident. It's literally preventable disease that mm-hmm. kills them. It's about 300 is what they do. it, And like, you know, we've since lost, what, 200,000 people in uh, COVID. And it's like it's all you see. But I'm like. Okay, whether or not you get that, is it, you know, like uh, you can get into the arguments other side, but we're losing 300,000 people off of something that we know is preventable. So like, how, like where's the outrage on that one? And uh, in this room, yeah. on that side of yeah, the yeah, TV. Like, <laughs> like we had the outrage and we fight and we discuss it, but it's like, uh, you know, I... I'm really interested, too, in a lot of this mindset stuff where people are like, oh, like I, I read the other day that there's this new thing called uh, uh, fat and fit. That uh, you can be obese, but if oh. it's subcutaneous fat and it's not packing around oh the organs, God. like you can still be fit. And they were talking about like fit fat. Oh, I thought it was just like a keto diet. No, they, they did. Yeah. They did <laughs> fit shame Adele for losing her. Yeah, they, they got mad about obese. it. Hang on, but it, like, it's it's come into this thing where like you didn't hear you know, this. Oh, I know, but ev- it's just everybody should should be able to have the body that you know that one. And and I, I get it. You shouldn't shame people, but like let's not say it's okay when it's not. Uh, you shouldn't yeah. always shame people. Like, well, I I'm, do believe in a a, a timely I, dose of shame. I've always said like, shame is a powerful motivator. Can be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, David Goggins is great at that. <laughs> Ryan, I, you know, I feel like it wouldn't be a episode of Power Athlete Radio if we didn't venture into our pension for film, right? And I, I guess what came to mind is the movie Bleed for this. Where like that's yes. so that's a, a what movie is that? I never so saw. So that this. is Vinny Pazienza, the boxer who yep. uh, broke his neck in a, car, in a uh, car accident or had a spinal injury. I guess I shouldn't maybe be more general. No, but. you're right. He broke it, and they ended up putting the halo on him. And like, dude, literally, if you move your vertebrae, move a centimeter, it's gonna hit your cord, and you're done forever. Yeah. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm a boxer, and I'm gonna retrain myself. And he ended up going back and winning the title. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. And they have uh, so the, who's who's that actor? Text? Miles Teller. Yeah, Miles Teller. Man, I love awesome. it. John, you got. I you've not it. seen this movie. No, bleed for this. That's it. That's this Friday. Bleed for this. It's good. It's good. It's on Netflix. I think. Is it right really? Now. Oh okay. man. Yeah. That's got to be Friday's film. Yeah, I, I love that. Movie. I'm getting goosebumps because like we already is, have like seven Friday films. I know it's well, <laughs> like like what uh, what's. What like we gave three just the other day? Like, <laughs> well, eraser. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the rail guns. Yeah, yeah. I saw one yeah. of those on a battleship once. The um, but I guess Ryan, my question is like, maybe we just dive into that. So is there like is that a case study? Like, what was learned from that? Is that just a one in a million? Is that one of those miracles, or is it just that going into like sheer willpower and then strength and conditioning and like, like. You know, yeah, great question. Sure. Um, the best way I think I can give relation to that for you guys and anybody listening, let's take Ryan Shazier. 
okay? Um, it was more spinal stenosis from the impact with swelling, but his cord was not severed, okay? So sometimes people get a, um, they kind of think of it in the wrong way is you hear you break your neck. You technically can break your neck and not be paralyzed. Your spinal cord is like the most thin piece of fiber line ever. And if you even touch it, it's done. So for the individuals that do break the vertebrae of their neck, if it doesn't touch their cord, they're very fortunate. Now you still will be haloed up. You'll still be treat very similar treatment as if you were paralyzed, but you got to be, they teach you to be scared to death for anything. And you find people that want to move like robots. But at the end of the day, we can't let that spine calcify. We can't let it implode because as they age, that's going to happen and it actually could end up paralyzing no them, shit. right? Because as we age. So look at Ryan Shazier. That dude came from everybody didn't know what was going to happen. But over time, swelling started to go down. He was an athlete. He had the mental capacity. He had the mentality. And that fool is kicking ass and taking names. Now, he will still deal with some repercussions of this injury because, unfortunately, with the spinal stenosis, what I've learned is sometimes clients' cords don't get touched and they still come in and have more severe symptoms than somebody that's cord did get touched. And that's because the swelling and the bruising is so far down the vertebrae, you're not just a C5. It could be C5 to T10. So now it's innervating all the different areas of the body that that vertebrae and that process of the cord is speaking to the brain on. And that can get really confusing. And it used to confuse me in the past. And so, so then clients are like, well, will this swelling ever go away? Well, if we talk about a spinal column, where's the swelling going to go? And these are answers we don't have. And going back into the stem cells and what is it going to be that maybe science does cure? In my opinion, the swelling and the scar tissue are the reason why we can't get the brain to heal itself. Because think of like a Tetris game and the ball's trying to go up, but the thing keeps bouncing it back down and back down or back up, however you want to view it. And it just can't get through to speak to one another. So well, the analogy tied together too. I mean, you think about, um, yeah. you know, if the swelling stays constant then you start getting this calcification of the swelling and then next thing you get like the scrotted bone and then you get all this scar tissue and the lack of movement i mean it, it's kind of this uh i guess you could say it's like the vicious cycle almost like all of a sudden the swelling happens and if the swelling stays and swelling isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, if nope. it's acute but when you get this like you know systemic constant chronic, chronic yes. swelling all of a sudden now you get that calcification sclerotic bone all of a sudden now you get bone spurs and like you know and i can imagine i've seen this in people's spines where all the, all of a sudden and i ran into this with uh nfl guys that would get you know something would get bruised they would get this swelling around the spine and then all of a sudden they start getting all this weird calcification and bone spurs and uh scrotted bone and then you know there would be more scar tissue and they'd start losing uh, like the uh, extension and flexion of the spine would get to deteriorated yep. and then they'd be on, you know, next thing you know, they're in a spine surgery, which is pretty interesting. And in that like, <laughs> I've never met anybody that had a positive outcome of the back with back, like, like whenever they have a back surgery. surgery. Oh yeah. Like everybody I know has had a back surgery. Like, they come out and they're like, um, I don't know if I would have done this again. Like it's never exactly. it, like the results are never fucking positive. 
They're not. And the whole, I think the whole process is, is because what, like you said, they start getting drop foot is all of this trauma starts innervating the nerves right outside the spinal process. And then those nerves start to kind of degrade down and then it's just a catastrophic effect. And then the anxiety starts to come from that. And then the mental capacity and then goes, all the painkillers and, and all the, you know, all the, uh, yep. um, you know, drugs that they give for, domino, to, you domino, know, domino, to, domino. uh, you know, what is it? The, um, uh, the muscle relaxers to try to get the muscles to relax and the painkillers. And it's like all of a sudden then there, there's a cascading effect. And especially for the NFL guys that have some form of brain issue, all of a sudden you give them these yep. opiates and whatnot. And now all of a sudden it starts crystallizing the effects of this. And now you're talking about, you know, all these, it, it's, uh, it's a nasty cycle. Yeah, it's, vicious. It, it's, um, what's crazy. And like, this is something that I, I constantly try to wrap my head around is we, it's all too often with some of this stuff. We look at it almost like in vacuums, like silos, and we don't realize that like nothing exists in a vacuum and everything's interrelated. And it's like, okay, so like, you know, they found the same pain receptors in the brain that are in the gut. And they know that there's like this link between the gut and the brain with like pain and how you, you know, the neural pain matrix. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's all yep. of this really amazing stuff where now they're realizing that like, you know, uh, before fascia was just the stuff you cut through to get to the muscle. Now all of a sudden they look and they, you know, the fashion, how it connects the body and it, it's pretty fascinating, man. Like, I'm just amazed that we're this far behind in, or, I know. you know, I actually have, um, outside, I mean, neuro is my primary thing, but I have a lot of ortho related clients that come in. Um, I've actually partnered with a neurosurgeon that's young and does a lot of non-invasive and, um, that stuff's kind of growing on my side just because I found that when people come in just by using the B activated AKA RPR more with them because they have the capacity to do it. I teach them how to do it to themselves. I can at least get the pain and anxiety from a nine or a 10 to a six or a seven. And I say, listen, man, if we can just start our day there, that's at least 10% better. And then what we got to do is that's where I go in and use my functional range conditioning and do a lot of joint articulations and teach the body that is, it is meant to move and bend and flex and extend. And I slowly get their pain down, but I tell them, listen, your norm, we're about to navigate and find it. And it's okay to live with the pain at five or six, but if you're living at nine or 10, you're going to be popping painkillers. You're going to create an addiction. You're going to create an alcoholism. And and then bad things happen. Unfortunately, I lost a buddy of mine from the war that got his back. Um, he got blown up in a, the Humvee and um, his back was jacked. He was on morphine, all kinds of stuff. They brought him back to the States. Him and his wife were celebrating an anniversary, drank two bottles of wine. She thought he was sleeping in. No, he ended up throwing up in his sleep and suffocating to death Shit. because of the narcotics mm. they had him on. Mm. Um, and that was a good buddy I grew up with. And, uh, it was just the very first time I realized how fucked up our medical system was and their answer to why he didn't get surgery immediately. was because his trauma was so severe. He needed time plus his mental capacity. They were scared to put him on. Mm. So to me, that's like, you know, that I, I didn't understand that at all. Yeah, man. I, I can't help but think of my mother-in-law who's like a frail, she's an older gal, pretty frail. I think maybe weighs 90 pounds. Uh, you're being generous. Yeah. With her shoes uh, on. With her she, shoes so on. So she had some severe back pain. That's awesome. Right? So okay. So fired up, Ryan. And, uh, you know, they were freaked out because she has never felt this level of pain. And um, I guess making a little bit light of the, the situation, 
Like I know right. from marrying her daughter, like they don't have a high pain threshold. Like that is not a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so like they, I get this phone call, like you know, hey, your mom uh, is gonna go, or your mother in law is gonna go get back surgery in the next couple weeks. And I'm like, what? What? What happened? You know, like, yeah. oh, she was bending over and tweaked something in her back, and they can't get it to look, release, and they the spinals, uh, the MRIs say that there's no disc damage, but the doctor's intuition says there's like, they need to fuse the lumbar, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I'm like, yep. okay. All right. Like I'm kind of freaking out. Like, no, this time, is not time out. Time. Yeah. yeah time. This is not going to end well for the family. And, um, <laughs> what I, what we were fortunate enough to do, we got a, we have a coach who's a, also a PT out like right down the street from them. And he's like similar mindset as you, Ryan, like a little more progressive thinker. And I'm like, do me a favor before you commit to anything, because they had her on a morphine drip all like for a whole weekend, and then she had withdrawal, and it was like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And it's like, go see this guy and just talk to him. If you don't want to pay for it, I'll pay for it. Like, boom. So he has her do like some pillars and dead bugs, push ups on her knees, and like talks to her and kind of same thing, like trying to just bring down his pain threshold, distracts it, talks about positive memories, right? And, um, like, at the end of the 40-minute session, she can touch her toes into zero pain. Zero pain. Exactly. And it's like she was about to get her lumbar yeah. spine fused. Yeah. And all she They just to, want to cut you dude. up and say, let's go look and see what we can find and cauterize yeah. some things. Oops, I hit your nerve. That's going to be there forever. Yeah, yeah dude. Sorry. Dude, it's, uh, um, yeah, the uh, Stu McGill had that. Um, it was actually ironic. Yeah, we were talk- I was talking about it with Kelly Starrett today, like the gift of injury. And how, like, that book I thought was so good in terms of, what was it, Brian Carroll just fucking imploding his back and then then bringing him back and, you know, all the things he went through. And Stu made a really interesting point when I talked to him about the book was, like, if he had had surgery, there was nothing else I could do. But if he didn't, we could bring him back. We could do these things. We could fix him, you know. And it's just like when we start cutting and replacing parts, um, it's kind of where I'm at with... uh, there was probably about six, eight months ago, uh, Dr. Inkladon forwarded me a video uh, out of Israel where they were doing um, successful biological joint replacements. So what they were able to do is use lasers in terms of like looking at a joint and then figuring out how to remodel the joint. So they would go in and basically laser and remodel, and then they put all these growth factors and exomes and stuff, you know, this whole cocktail deal. And they were actually able to do biological joint replacements. And the guy, like I'm watching the video, and, like, I called Doc, and I was like, hey, man, like, is this bullshit? Like, how far out is this? He's like, um, the guy has done it. Like, this is eight months ago. Like, this is what's happening. Uh, wow. So, you know, the, and then the, the chilling piece is as long as you have your original parts, they're going to be able to <laughs> fix them. And so, you know, yeah. like, uh, Kelly just had a total knee replacement. So did Matt. Um, uh, yeah, Matt Vincent. And, like, I realized, the you know, Kelly's was a little bit different because um, his, what was it, the, the, uh, uh, the fib went through the, or I'm sorry, the femur went through the tibial plateau in a ski accident. So his, his was pretty like kind of catastrophic. It wasn't from arthritis or whatnot. He had this deal. And so they replaced his knee just cause it was inhibiting his you know, whole life. But I really think that there is a solution pretty close. that looks like some biological replacement. And if they can do that, I don't know why they can't go in there and fix spine. So they're not, are they cutting, are they cutting segments out, John? Or no, are they just remodeling the existing structure? Yeah. So like they would yeah. uh, open the knee, they would uh, like scan my knee and they would look and be like, okay, his knee, because arthritic changes is adjusted. 
So what they'll do is they go in and use the laser to kind of remodel, almost like shave off, okay. kind of do whatever they like, need yeah, to remodel. Shape, yeah, like, to, to reshape it. Almost like like Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and Ghost on a clay. 100%. So it's like that, but with lasers. Nice. What, what, what I'm kind of nice. hoping for is really from Avatar, okay. where like the broken little Marine gets this big alien body and like they, pray, and yeah. they transfer consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm hoping but for. Are they going to make us a second avatar? Yeah. They're, they're making it right now in New Zealand. So I take it. You're, I, I hope it doesn't suck. It's, uh, I love are you an it's, avatar fan? It's two and three. Love so it. they're making two and three right now. Which uh, one are you? Dude. Which one are you, jackasses? Oh, I like Avatar. I like I'm, Avatar. I I'm love a big it. fan of Pocahontas too. Avatar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but uh, got it. First of all, dickhead. <laughs> right? There's only a couple fucking plots in Hollywood. There's the Buddy Cop movie. There's the Pocahontas movie. Yeah. Boy, boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. girl. Yeah. Boy and pals go get girl back. Yeah, and and then yeah, and then like boy the lies a girl. And then the other family. one is it's the buddy cop movie. Everything is either a buddy cop or the like love lost, love regotten, which would be like love yep. actually or whatnot. And then the other one is always there's uh, the revenge tale though. The, I'm gonna revenge. tell you what I was most fascinated with that movie was the picture. It was just one of the first movies with the true HD yeah. where I was like, holy shit, this is beautiful to watch. Well, and 3D, right? Like, like the, It was yeah. like without the blue and red. I saw the, 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 the 3D real, version. Yeah, same, same. Was, was it better or worse? Well, I've only seen it once. Oh, the 3D but, version. Oh, oh, dude. Oh, dude, I've watched that movie so many times. Cut uh, me too. Cut it. Uh, got it. Pocahontas cartoon by Disney. I've seen it as well. Why, why are you watching Pocahontas Disney? I grew mm. up. Creeper. Mm -hmm. so, well, Friday I'll tell y'all. Drinking I, uh, beers, watching Pocahontas Disney. Can I come over? Our Friday movie, right? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you my kid movie. So my four year old daughter um, never thought like I'd have to watch girl shows, but she turned one on. This isn't a girl show, but the movie Coco. Have y'all seen Coco? Dude. Uh, we have our own uh, Dias de las Muertas altar that we put up That's the pictures the of. Is Coco the bird? No. Co uh, so Coco is a little boy in Mexico, and he wants to play the guitar, and he somehow gets over to the spirit world, which is all based off of the Dias de las Muertas, where you put out the pictures of your relatives so they can come yep. across the spirit bridge and, you know, the deal, mm -hmm. and then goes and finds his grandfather. And it's, uh, I, dude, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I've seen it a dozen times, and I tear up. Every time. Every time. I, I'm like, every uh, time. It's like Rudy. Dude, the kids are like, <laughs> hey, do you want to watch Coco? And this is the type of, this is the, because we, we just took the altar down, but like this time of year is like the time where we watch Coco, and I'll be like, okay, turn it on. I don't know if I could deal with this one, but I can live with it if you can. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, uh, yeah, like uh, at that point, we've, it's the best. Since, since we saw it, now we, uh, like, you know, right around Halloween, we, we make our little altar, we put up all the pictures, we have like the little skeletons, so cool. we put out some, uh, uh, I think it's water and like and then some little treats and then we remember and hey like and like we're constantly That's searching so cool. for more pictures of relatives. That's a big one for us. So like All right, Tex, how about this one? Greatest showman. Kids love it. I I is, dance more than my daughter. Is that with the Hugh Jackman? Yeah, the kids love that yeah. movie. I, don't know. I have not uh, seen it yet. My son, because of Netflix, uh, has watched every season of Power Rangers. So we started with like Ninja Steel in like the 2000, late 2000s to Dino Charge to mm -hmm. this. The other day I come in and I'm like, when is this? Like, uh, like he somehow figured out in East 4 how to navigate all the way back through all of the Power Rangers. And we watched the wow. original season. And he's like, I mean, he was a Power Ranger for Christmas. 
I mean, uh, not Christmas for Halloween. It'll probably be for Christmas yeah, too. Why not? Yeah. 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 But the best part is he put on his costume and he was like, I know that, you know, and he like knows all and like does the kicks and the punches. And I'm like, my God, this is awesome. Good for you. I know. I never thought I'd like kid movies, but I'm not going to lie. That and Abominable or however you say that, that was a great one. Uh, did you guys watch, so. uh, what was it, Princess Elena? Have you seen the oh, Princess Frozen? Elena? No, I haven't. Is that Frozen? Uh, I no. Well, that, uh, so what happened was there was a show called Sophia the Great, and she had an amulet that they somehow released another princess. So my daughters were obsessed with this, like, Princess Elena of, Av- of Avalor. And so when we went to Disneyland, I ended up having to buy them these dresses that were like Princess Uh-oh. Elena. And so every Christmas, or every Halloween, I'm like, we still have the dresses. Why don't you guys be Princess Elena? And they're like, oh, yeah. we hate that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But like I had to go buy these damn dresses for them. But like that show, I get uh, it. dude, we've gone through so many of these shows where like the kids are in it. And I'll be like, oh, it's not a bad one. And then like, uh, you know, Wonder Pets and like, uh, what's the other one? The Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Yeah, so we, yeah. You know, they were obsessed with that. And then all of a sudden, one day, they're like, I don't like that anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like that? I just got into this show. Now I don't get to watch it <laughs> I know. Anymore. It's the most frustrating thing. So something I do on the side is I do um, luckily get to work with high school football kids on weekends, um, college prep tennis girls. It's just the way I kind of counterbalance the heavy shit I deal with. Um, but all my tennis girls, they're all 17, 18, and they're my babysitters for Bryn as well. And one of them was working with me yesterday because I had him uh, watch Bryn for Halloween because that's my, when my wife was paralyzed. And so we went to dinner and she goes, I'm not going to lie. We put on Frozen 2 and I was super into it. And your daughter was like, no, nah, this is old news. Let's go. And she's like, it pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it sucks. Cause like, I'll do the same thing. Like, just let's go lay on the couch and relax and watch a movie. Five minutes later, she's got another dress on. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. I was text. I think it was the, when me, you and Logues hung out, hung out in Seattle with Callie on that flight back. I watched Frozen. Just a like see a dude. what it was all about. Yeah, just a dude, no kids. I'm like this thing. Yeah. Everyone's talking about this thing, and I'm like, I'm fine with it. I was fine with it. I wouldn't say like I'm going to celebrate it, but those I'm dude, always impressed at how those we those, watched that movie so many I, times. I'm so many. Like it, it was to the point where like I hear the song and I get like kind of like a visceral response. I'll be like, oh, play it, oh. and uh, yeah, and, and then the hilarious part is uh, Frozen Two comes out and it was like all their friends and everything. It was going to be this big deal and they were all going to go see it. And then I think COVID hit and I don't know if they saw it in the movie no, theater. It was before that. Or was it? I, it I, I, I can't remember what it they, was. Maybe they aged out. And but, it was just like. But then they all went to go <laughs> see cool. it. And then I asked them, like, how was it? And they were like, man, it was okay. I was like, you guys it were okay. so into that. What happened? Eh. And then uh, like the, uh, I can't keep up with like. The, with Most like recent, I've seen Incredibles 2. Yeah. Last Christmas with nephews. That's so I don't one. know what they'll be into. <laughs> Dude, watch Coco. I will tell you the saddest thing that I did is I made Brent. I was like, Brent, I'm going to play one of dad's favorite movies when I was little. Uh-oh. She was like, okay, I'm into this. So I put on The Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get 10 minutes in. She doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And then my wife and I are like, holy crap, we don't even remember this. So we were like, Brent, go play. And we ended up watching the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. We enjoyed oh, I'm it. Sure that- but I was so sad that she didn't like the Mighty Ducks. Emilio Estevez's Dude, finest work. The uh, Mighty Duck Man. If you want to watch a TV show that your daughter will actually freak out on is uh, the kids have been watching The Masked Singer. Have you guys seen this with I'm Nick Cannon? It. Oh, it, uh, like yeah, it, yeah, It's on yeah. TV and it's got like uh, these morons for judges uh, like Jenny McCarthy yeah. and like these... Uh, 
Like, uh, the but dude what, from The Hangover? Yeah. Mr. Chow? Yeah. Jenny MacArthur now. And then um, uh, Robin Thicke, which uh, I think is hilarious. But uh, the costumes that these people come out in are like the most elaborate shit we've ever seen. Like I was like last night they were watching it and they're just like mesmerized by these costumes. And uh, it's like, I think for nine-year-old girls, that's a pretty high-end show. So my daughter's a little yeah, bit older. Yeah, until they want us to recreate those costumes. That's the same. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that ain't happening. But man, the costumes are crazy to the point where I'm, I was last night, I was like, God dang, like this dude had, um, it was Mark Sanchez they had on. It was like, can he <laughs> sing? Singing. Can he sing? Uh, not really. Uh, but what was is he a better singer or quarterback? Oh, uh, he's pretty awful as a quarterback. So, so he's a better singer. singer. Yeah, he's butt fumble. Singer. Yeah. Butt fumble. But what the hilarious part is he had this kind of like metal costume where it had like kind of like a disc and it had uh, like a little baby alien and he was somehow puppeteering it and singing. Wow. And like that's what I was impressed by. And then they take off Mark Sanchez and I'm not a USC fan. I played at Cal, so I'm like, eh. And uh, and they're like, it's Mark Sanchez. And if they had, and I'm glad that they said that because nobody knows who the fuck that guy is. Like <laughs> yeah. everybody's like, wow, and it's Mark Sanchez. And like everybody's like, yeah. oh, oh, like looking oh, around. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, like the general. Dude, pop. you would get along with my wife real well because she lived um she lived in Berkeley for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, is she from there? And what? Uh, no, she was from Dallas, but she was working um at KPMG in uh, San Francisco. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, she she took me through there, showed me where she used to live, way up in the foothills, overseeing everything. Oh, she really she cool. lived in the Berkeley Hills. Yeah, and she would commute and, to San Francisco to KPMG. Mm-hmm. Wow, I I had some friends yeah. that worked uh, that worked for them right out of uh, right out of college. So, um, but man, that, yeah, and that's when she left there to come home for Halloween. Took two months off. That's when she got paralyzed, and that's what where she moved back to Dallas. She was living when she opened up, she went to California for two years. That's where she found kind of what we do and then reopened it. And then that's when I kind of came in, but she's a big uh, Cal fan and stuff. I'm not the biggest California guy, but um, I did love the city. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Berkeley's a fun place. I, uh, we, yeah, it was cool. We went to a game. It would have been last November was the last time yeah, we were out there. And um, it was great. We got to walk down Telegraph. I get to take the kids to Top Dog to get Top Dogs and, like, to go yep. see it. It was pretty cool. We had a, a fun game. Uh, USC ended up beating us, uh, shockingly. But it was, uh, it was good. I, yeah. But, um, oh, it's interesting. Um, so car accident on Halloween? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. So she was actually dressed up as a, um, since you were talking about mass Singer, she was very lively as a peacock mm-hmm. on Halloween. Obviously, I didn't know her at the time. But they were out in Knox Henderson off 75 by SMU. And um, she went to the restroom, met a girl like similar peacock outfit or something. And they became best friends after drinking. And she's like, hey, my boyfriend, we're going to the same concert. Why don't you all just hop in since you've been drinking? He doesn't drink. Well, this guy just got some new fancy BMW, wanted to show off and went 110 miles an hour. Kendall took her seatbelt off to be like, dude, slow the fuck down chill out and at that time the tire blew out smashed in the sidewall those three were fine she snapped her neck mm. and was paralyzed instantly jesus so that's what happened to her and they actually were saying that she was calling people but she has no memory of this she's like i'm really hurt but i'm okay they're taking me to the hospital and then she woke up because they basically put her on ice and that's why her recovery was so good. She was so close to Baylor, which is the top SCI hospital, spinal cord injury. And um, if they can kind of put like the freeze through your veins, it keeps the swelling down until they get into surgery. So I do think um, kind of, you know, 
backtracking into what we talked about, there are different things on people with their injuries from how long the injury took place to when they got their surgery, kind of got rewired and put back together. I have seen a correlation on time spent from injury to surgery. And the quicker it was done, the better prognosis they got down the road. I th- That's cir- circumstantial. So for anybody that listens to be like, this guy's a moron. That's just what I've seen over eight years. One of, one of my brothers, uh, they're fullback in college. My brothers played college football. He um, he was in a uh, driving in the fast lane on the 405 and blew a tire. And the, he was in like kind of a van and it flipped over on the driver's side like he, he hit something flipped wow. and he skidded like 300 you know yards or something on his side and uh ground his ear off and his uh his uh like pretty much the vertebrae just popped off his spinal cord like but the thing was he was so thick and so muscular he's probably like 510 like 260 that uh yeah. all the muscles just like contracted and when they took him in, Protected. yeah, they took him in. He was right near Long Beach, took him in and like ended up fixing it. And he was fine. And they were like, we've never seen anything like this. But the dude, I mean, he was so thick in his body Pull and back. dense mm-hmm. that like they were like, dude, the muscles just seized and created this artificial kind of, uh, I don't know, cocoon form. And they were able to fix him. I mean, they put a rod in his neck and he's been fine. But I always think and the surgeons like. Uh, like, you know, more muscle, more density, like the fact that he had probably played these sports all of his life was a contributing factor. So that kind of goes back to Mark Ripto's, you know, uh, stronger stronger people people are harder to kill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And that actually, um, I just wrote that hearing that that is exactly what I mean by the body and how it protects itself in that imploded state. His body went immediately to fight or flight. And the one thing that he spent his entire life on, which is what training his body to be strong, be powerful. The brain knew when it was introduced to that environment to protect itself. And that's exactly what spasticity and tone is. When you see clients with paralysis, most would think, Oh, you're a noodle. Some people are actually a board. Literally when I pick up some clients, I could like carry them in my arm be in they, their body would hold like a freaking board mm-hmm. and that's how much tone is created. And in my opinion, they're like, am I going to be trapped in my body forever? I go, well, have we been put back together? Do we have underlying issues going on? No. Well, then we have to remap your brain to teach it that you're not in that flight or fight response anymore. And those contractors will slowly slowly dissipate but the problem is is it resets itself every time you go back to sleep so what i'm trying to figure out is what can i do for people that live in that kind of state to keep their like brain from imploding when they fall back asleep now i know they get up every couple hours to turn but at some point i gotta feel find a way and this is where i'm thinking about creating like a night shoe with the nuboso insoles so that the brain's still somewhat stimulated i don't know just yet but this is the fun part of my job because i kind of feel like for about an hour we were on some pretty dark stuff i'm not to say dark but i mean it's it's tough stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis but I enjoy aspects of it because you got to enjoy what you do. And for me, I consider this injury like a chess game. And it's like, for like you said, your brother's instance, like he was so damn strong, it protected him. Well, I tell these individuals, your body's strong and it's protecting you. So I take instances like you just said, and I kind of retrain the mind to think in a different way. And it really does help empower these people because I couldn't imagine 
um, what it would be like feeling trapped inside a body. I always try to put my clients in their situation to the best of my ability, but there's just some things we can't recreate. Right. Yeah, that's that piece of empathy, putting yourself in the other person's shoes. No, man, yeah. it's, um, it's uh, you know, I mean, you, you don't have to be a religious person to see that you're doing something, you know, like not God's work, but, um, you know, something like next level in that way, dude. I commend you. And uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, man, I appreciate it, guys. Like, honestly, I used to not take compliments well. Um, Brett was like, take them. Um, and those things really help me push when I get individuals like my man Urban that's a cop that serves others that's shot in the head because of some um, individual that didn't see eye to eye. And uh, um, just hearing that, you know, we're making a change and other people see it, that just fuels my fire to fucking go harder and stronger than ever. And so I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to get this out there and continue to expand it because my goal is just to be a pioneer in this field and hopefully one day create a podcast like you guys have and bring on other people and just slowly create, bring coaches around that want something different that just want to help others. Mm -hmm. But it starts with finding the right human, the right heart and the desire to help. I can teach the intangibles, but you can't teach that. And that's the biggest thing I've learned in the eight years I've been here. So where would people find you? Like if, uh, if, if, if they're, you know, moved and impassioned by this podcast and the words you said, like, where can people find you? And more importantly, how can they follow and keep up with your work? Right. Well, you can follow me at Basic Methods. My last name doesn't um, sound like it. It's B-A-C-H-I-K. It's Basic and Check, but Basic underscore Methods. My wife is Mrs. Basic Methods. Um, I try to post constantly on Instagram, obviously Ryan Basic on Facebook. But um, we are doing a complete rebrand, hence my new Basic Method brand that I just finished and my new website um, will be up to date before Christmas, but it is up and running. It's just old stuff, and that's basicmethods.com. And then for React, which is our nonprofit, neuroreaction.org. Those are the ways you can reach out to us. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Power yeah. Athlete Nation, for tuning in to yes. another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. Until next time. Bye-bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Ryan Basic and Basic Methods on Instagram. Just look for at basic underscore methods. Basic is spelled B-A-C-H-I-K. And Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. All those good things. We are so excited to be closing out another year of Power Athlete Radio with you. Looking forward to the next. Here's to 2021. Until next time. Bye.